welcome everyone to February 23rd, 1990 in the Legacy Series. It is the main event. It is Joe Lewis Arena, Detroit, Michigan. Um, as I record this, I happen to be in a hotel at 8.30 in the morning, so I am trying to um, negotiate that as I do this podcast. But we find ourselves also in another place. We find ourselves at the door of another WrestleMania. It is somehow already WrestleMania 6, and Ms. Fan has given us a whole lot of bonus stuff that we're going to look at to make up for the 48-minute or so main event. So we got a lot to talk about, but I find myself thinking about Hulk Hogan as he's on the doorstep of what, in some ways, maybe should be the removal of Hulkamania. I mean, when I look back, when he vanquished the Iron Sheik, he also kind of vanquished Bob Backlund. And nobody said a thing. It was just that time. It's time to go. Time to build. Time to tear down. He d- goes through King Kong Bundy. Well, that's just a big man. Big men are to be gone through. That's the new, uh, that's the new route. But what about Paul Orndorff? What about his buddy? What about his friend Paul? Where is Paul Orndorff? What happened to Paul Orndorff? We just, we don't talk about that and then there's Andre the Giant then there's uh, the greatest Wrestlemania the most significant the the high watermark Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant and yes you can also say as you said with King Kong Bundy it's a big man it's an evil man it's a man who needs to be slammed and we got to go through him for reasons but also wasn't he Hogan's friend wasn't he the mentor didn't he prove some high marks what happened with Andre? Well, we're busy. Hulk Hogan's still the champion. We got to go to work. Okay, there's Ted DiBiase, and Ted DiBiase is going to make Hulk Hogan look good because Ted DiBiase is not a good person. And then there's Randy Savage, and there's Hulk Hogan, but weren't they the mega powers? And wasn't Liz his sister? And what happened there? And they're still exploding to this day. To be a world champion, to maintain a title, is a messy affair. There's a reason that in a lot of wrestling promotions, you almost have to be a heel to be the one who maintains the championship. It is a messy affair. And everyone who wants to point a finger at Hulk Hogan, you got reasons to point a finger at Hulk Hogan. But he's also one of the only successful babyface champions to maintain, maintain, maintain from his era forward. I think in part... It's because he can be devious and he can be rhetorically, he can destroy you in a lot of different ways. But at the same time, there's an honesty to the fact that it seems like sometimes he's admitting that he's there to do something. Like, I'm there to be the champion and stay the champion. And everyone else is like, ah, you know, that's too much. But they want the same thing. But then we got a riddle. We got a mystery. We got a thing that still doesn't make sense to me to this day because you got the ultimate warrior. You got the ultimate warrior who cannot be deceived because he's not smart enough to be deceived. You got the ultimate warrior who is the first person who we know is just going to go through Hulk Hogan, that the company is going to be behind him, that he's going to sell more merchandise at one time than Hulk Hogan. That Hulk Hogan is supposed to explode, and he will explode, and he will outstay his welcome, and at least in 1992, karma is going to come in the name of justice. But as we're on the doorstep... We were at the door of an event where the Ultimate Warrior, this will be the last great WrestleMania, according to people in the business, for a long, long time. So the Warrior helped pack that building. And Hogan put over the Warrior. He will put over the Warrior. 
But why does it feel like the warrior is both going to go through Hulk Hogan and still somehow bypass Hulk Hogan? The ultimate warrior is now calling on something greater than Hogan and himself. The fates or whatever has aligned this thing to happen. So why should it happen? What is the significance? I still don't know if I can quite put my finger on it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot to talk about today. There's a lot to get into. So I am the mystic and I'm joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed back to WWF, the Legacy Series. I'm liking our uh, more, um, I don't know, uh, subdued tone today, perhaps, due to location. I'm going to try to follow along because, you know, just to maintain the tone of the show. Uh, We are on the doorstep of WrestleMania 6, that big, last, huge stadium show that we are going to have indeed for quite a long time. Um, for me today, it is a good news, bad news type of situation. There is going to be a lot of stuff that I am going to love and, uh, will pretty much exclusively come out of the bonus footage, which I hope you're able to follow along with. I posted it on www.lopforums.com and on Twitter. You can check it out there. We got matches. We got promos. We got a lot of great stuff that is going to prepare us for a big WrestleMania. We also have... Some stuff that I am not going to be a fan of, and it is pretty much entirely limited to three people, only two of which are wrestlers, and those two are going to be in the main event of that WrestleMania. We have entered a time where I love everything I'm seeing except the main event, and this is not the only time in history that that is going to happen. So I don't know why that pattern emerges, but it does And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about all the different stuff going into WrestleMania. We're going to talk about the stuff that is so far under the ground. We had to dig to unearth it because you would never even find it if you were just thinking about WrestleMania. We're going to talk about a lot of varied and good stuff today. It's going to be an interesting conversation, and I am very much looking forward to it. Yeah, this is... There's a lot going on. It does. It feels to me a lot like the WrestleManias that we've called. With you got you know you got your Roddy Piper match. You got you know other things going on. There's like that kind of full card. And I'm wondering what we're going to think of WrestleMania six, and then what are we going to think of say WrestleMania seven, eight? Mm-hmm. I think eight could be a really good one. So maybe at least for Miz fan especially, but maybe partly for me, does it become where the shows don't completely fall off? It's just maybe some of the bigger build matches and the, the arenas. I don't know. I'm really in an I don't know mood today, so that's a lot of what you're going to get from me this week. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking forward, and I don't know a lot of the full cards, but WrestleMania 7, um, probably some good stuff, and then we got Hogan uh, Slaughter on top. I'm, I'm not going to be a big fan of that. WrestleMania 8, again, a lot of really good stuff, but then you got Hogan and Sid on top, and I know I don't like that. WrestleMania 9, I think probably some underrated stuff, but then you got Hogan and Yokozuna and that mess. And after that, it's more mysterious to me. So yeah, WrestleMania going to go through some changes. I think uh, the pattern that may emerge, like I said, it's going to be some good stuff. And then the main event just not working anymore. And uh, the, the success of the company, I think is going to reflect that as well. Yeah. I think we're going to find it. We talk a lot about eras in retrospect, but they come to feel like 
they're these neat and clean things like, oh, in 1993, it was this in February. And then in March, it became that. But it's so hard to move from one thing to another. So you're going to see a lot of ups and downs, you know, between now and WrestleMania 10. I see WrestleMania 10 as really when kind of Bret Hart is kind of taking off. He'll already have been champion before, but he won't fully, I don't think, kind of take the reins. You know, so it's so mysterious. We'll get into it as time goes by. But WrestleMania 7 just feels like, at least until we get to it, it was a desperate way to try to fill an arena. And then maybe it didn't work. And then WrestleMania 8, we're going to have a lot of questions about. Because I don't understand just saying, oh, we had Hogan at house shows against Flair, but it didn't really work out. So we just exploded the whole thing. Like, there's just so many (laughs) questions in everything that's coming up. Like... Are we in the old era? We're not in the new era, but we're not in the old era. We're, are there hangover eras? Are there in-betweens? Are there layover eras or lack of eras? I don't know, but, you know, that gray area is uh, up, up ahead of us and upon us at the same time. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. That's going to be a, a big question mark um, to look through and maybe do a little extra research on. But uh, for now... Um, it seems like a long ways away because we're still in WrestleMania 6, and uh, I think nobody really knows that the fall-off is coming. As I think I've mentioned before, at WrestleMania 6, we will see big, ostentatious ads about the big, big stadium that they have already booked for WrestleMania 7, and uh, knowing what's coming, it might make you a little sad, or perhaps uh, it might make you laugh a little bit. If you like uh, seeing the WWF kind of fall on their face because they made some bad choices. I think what I wish I had researched more, and maybe there's not a clear answer. Did Hulk Hogan really think he was leaving WWF? Is there a part of him right now that thinks I will get a successful career and I will probably not need this? And is there a part of WWF that one way or the other thought Warrior's going to be the guy and Hogan can come and go, but he'll never be. He'll be the secondary from now on. Like, How much were these guys moving on, or how much were they just killing time for the summer? That is a good question. I mean, uh, I don't know who would tell the truth about that, but uh, you you never know what you might find out. So it would be interesting to look at. It is interesting also to just think about the fact that uh, Hogan will not be gone in any meaningful way until after WrestleMania 8. I think that's Mm. his last uh, appearance for quite a while, and then he comes back. Um, with Beefcake and they do the horrible tag team thing. Um, but yeah, up until then, for the next two years, it's not like he won't be here. He'll be against Earthquake and he'll be champion again and he'll be doing all these things. So if they did think he was not going to be around, that will very much not be the case. So it is an interesting question. That would make more sense to me because like, it's hard to call this stuff without the fact that we have hindsight and we know what happens. But I really put in my notes somewhere that if I had no hindsight and I was working for the WWF and I'm watching the main event, I would know inside of myself this Ultimate Warrior project is not going to pay off. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, I would definitely agree with that. But it's very hard to say. I'll say this, and I'm going to talk about this a lot more later on this show, but I don't think in all of 
the shows we've done together covering WCW, TNA, uh, NXT, all the random stuff that we've done. I don't know if I've ever had so much trouble connecting into what makes a guy popular as I have with the Ultimate Warrior. I'm not going to sit here and say I can't imagine it at all because that wouldn't be true. I can kind of see like the fringes of it. I can kind of grasp like the very general idea. But man, when I watch this guy, like it's easier for me to understand Sid, Nash, um, Duggan, all these people that uh, I really have no time for, but I can kind of grasp on a theoretical level okay well maybe people like this about this guy ultimate warrior like i can see a little piece of it but man this guy i've hardly ever met a main eventer that does so little for me and yet we're gonna watch a youtube video that is hogan and warrior dueling promos which i thought was just the height of nonsense something that i would turn off my tv if i was just watching as a fan and I look in the comments and it's almost all like wall to wall positive warrior stuff. So there's just like this thought process out there or something, this other dimension that the warrior lives in that some people can access that I guess I can't. So I don't know. Maybe people are seeing things that I didn't see. Maybe they just saw Warrior was popular and say, hell, well, we got to try somebody and look at this guy's muscles. And if it doesn't work out, we can just go back to Hogan anyway. Um, I don't know what it is exactly, but I have never felt so divided from a certain section of fans who like something that we are seeing that I just don't get into at all. Oh, man. If, if, if you follow WCW, the Legacy Series, you know what it means. Uh, he, Ms. Van just said uh, he, could, he could understand Sid more than he could understand the Warrior. Like, if you don't, if you know, you know. If you don't, you know, do the research. Uh I popularity I can understand or not understand it um, because I don't understand Brutus I don't understand Hacksaw mm. but like can you not look at the fact that and also I'll, before I jump into that we'll see I think also when you get see comments on YouTube there seems to be <laughs> just the the way the world seems to work whatever comes out is out of fashion will then be in fashion yeah so I have seen like Warrior have a revival I've seen Sid have a revival Lex Luger's even had a revival that's always makes sense. He also murdered somebody, you know, according to <laughs> WWF. But, like, you see all these people who had no popularity, like, on the Internet, mm. almost then in another era get popularity because they didn't have popularity. So mm. I would be – I wonder how much is that. Um, but what I see also is the man doesn't seem to know his way around a wrestling ring. Mm. And you're going to have him, like – I really want people to understand because I have I've sacrificed Lex Luger on this altar before in, in WCW Legacy Series and others that if you don't want someone to be a champion because not only are were they not a fan of the sport but they don't know they don't even understand it oh 24 seven I'm gonna be world champion if you want me to make 77 appearances in five minutes in five different towns yeah I'll be I'll do that as well like what it takes to carry a championship and to and to carry a company especially in these days. Like, I don't think there's anybody that could think that the Ultimate Warrior was going to do that and be able to do that. It almost feels like to me that you have to sacrifice the entire year and be like, well, not only are we going to have WrestleMania 6 with a loser, we'll get a rematch at WrestleMania 7 just so you know, like, hey, like this is a short term project. Like if, But you're also you are putting the sword through Hulk Hogan. Like, 
Hulk Hogan's going to go down so the Ultimate Warrior can rise up. And maybe they thought they can remedy it any day, but it feels like at least this is supposed to be the beginning of a new era, and the era is that of the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. If you do research it more before uh, our WrestleMania show, I'll be interested to hear. Um, my felt sense is probably that they were thinking, yeah, let's just try a guy who's popular. Hogan might leave. We don't know if he really would leave or not. But if he does, we want to have somebody, so let's try this guy out, not realizing somehow the ramifications of uh, trying this particular guy out. Um, but I guess you look around also and you say, like, if they're going to try somebody, who else? Like, we're going to see on this show, it ain't going to be Randy Savage, because uh, he has suffered the Hulk Hogan loser fate, and he is no longer significant in any way. Uh, it can't be Andre. Um, he's too broken down. He's about to go on the shelf for good. It can't be DiBiase because we kind of wrote him off. It can't be, you know, who could it be? Um, I don't know. So they just decided it had to be someone, and they decided it had to be Warrior, maybe. That's the best that I can wrap my mind around. I think it's as simple as that because yeah. I've listened to shows before, so I don't know where I could even go. And what I've heard, you know, I think Bruce Pritchard said that, you know, Vince looked at Warrior. He's younger. He's got a better body. Mm-hmm. Um Hulk Hogan said the same thing, I think, on Steve Austin's podcast, is that, you know, Vincent Mann looked at the Ultimate Warrior's body and looked at his body, and, you know, Vincent Mann's always going to prefer the Ultimate Warrior's body. You know, and, and does you you think about what, did, what is Hogan given WWF at this point? This is 1990, so about five years, maybe, five, six years. Yeah. So I don't know how much younger. Is Warrior five years, six years, seven, eight years? So, like, however many years younger than him, like, if you can get the same run... And you believe in your own hype. Like, if I can get the exact same run I got from Hogan out of Warrior, you know, then, what, we're in 1996, and we've had, like, a decade or more of this. So, yeah. I guess who knows what they thought. Six years younger and a lot less wear and tear on that body. So, yeah. you know, that, yeah, you, if, if it had worked, and we can sit here and say, well, obviously it didn't work. We've got hindsight. We've also got some evidence that I think was ignored. But, yeah, I mean, if it had worked, you're right. Could, uh, I can see in uh, somebody's mind be like, yeah, it's just going to rekindle the boom that we're having. It's going to keep things going the way they are going. And, yeah, we'll make it all the way to God knows when, 2000 or something, like in our minds. So, obviously, going to be nothing like that. But uh, I can sort of, like, grasp the outside edges of that idea. Here's something I might agree with Vince McMahon on, and I don't say that. It might be the first time I've said it out loud in my life. So. All right. Has a babyface ever defeated a babyface and been fully better for it? Because I know I think about world title matches, at least putting people over for the belt. I think of Hogan Warrior and Michaels Brett, and I feel like both Warrior and Michaels, like you really do lose something even when you win something. There's a difference between like showing up and taking out the Iron Sheik mm. versus taking out the established babyface that at least some people in that arena have to be – they're, they are there simply for that person and have been for many years. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know if I understand the logic. If you really, not just a world title change, but you, when you're trying to switch guys, and they were trying to do that with Michaels, and they were trying to do it with the Warrior, and I don't think either one fully succeeded. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just not the move. That's interesting. You hear a lot of talk about, like, passing the torch um, kind of matches, and... Uh, yeah, maybe they just don't work. That's something I haven't even really considered before. But um, 
I'm thinking back, and this was rife with problems anyway, but they tried this whole, like, Cena and The Rock thing, too, and mm. uh, and it was very popular, you know, it, yeah. it did some uh, great money, but did it put over Cena more before, like, than he was before? I don't really think so, and they kind of did it too late, and there was a lot of circumstances, but yeah, I don't think it really accomplished anything either, in terms of, like, yeah, I don't know, maybe some people would disagree, I know some people would really revere that stuff, it wasn't really for me, but yeah, and... WWE tries it so little that even just off the top of my head, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there are a lot of examples of it really working that well. Maybe it doesn't work to pass the torch in that way. Maybe you got to win it from an antagonist to be the protagonist. It's interesting. Yeah. Michaels, I've said this before, Michaels was my second favorite wrestler from the time I started watching in 91 through my life. And yet I was, I was pulling for Brett at WrestleMania 12 because I could not stand Michaels at that time. Hmm. And, it just feels so unearned. Like even right now, Hulk Hogan, you, it feels like I think we're going to disagree on some of this stuff later because you seem to be as down on him, and that's fair. But if I'm watching this and I'm a fan of the product, I know what Hogan's given me. I don't know what Warrior's going to give me. And Bret Hart, like Bret Hart, is a warrior. Like he is a warrior of the product. Like mm-hmm. Bret Hart was WWF. That's one thing I will never take away from Bret Hart. I think he would have done anything that he could have done for that company. You know, to be a spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, so Michaels would is coming. He's supposed to be the next great baby face, but he's also kind of just sneaking. They always feel like they're sneaking in the door because you can never take like, oh, Michaels is a baby face for six months, or the Ultimate Warrior's been IC champion for like you know a minute. You know, I just don't know how it feels earned to take the head of the person that all the fans have come to see before you. That's a great point. And uh, to that Bret Hart point, I will also say um, <laughs> it's funny now because with WWE, a lot of times they kind of seemingly order their wrestlers to kind of come out and say, well, hey, actually, it's good that we're treated not well, you know, and some wrestlers will just run ahead and do that. And I would just say, yeah, please look at the examples of Bret Hart, Randy Savage, um, folks who uh, bled for this company, quite literally, mm-hmm. and uh, who are just kind of thrown out the door. So please you know, do do what you want to do for your career, but don't, um, you know, don't think that they're necessarily going to give back to you what you're giving to them, because that, that's not, that's not WWE, that's not wrestling, that's not even really life, you know, have, have that, um, feeling for yourself, please, if you can. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I wonder if there's any thought of, like, could the warrior being an idiot... <laughs> you know, have helped his standing in that you feel like if the money is right, if you make him the world champion, cool. And this might be wrong because Bruce Pritchard, I think, said he went to a broom closet and cried after he won the belt. But, you know, if, I, if there's anything positive I could think, it would be that you could make the warrior the champion. But then if it didn't work, you could do what you did at Royal Rumble and go back to Hogan. Whereas if you made a Bret Hart a world champion, and then you let him know by, and it, and it looks like he's going to be the champion for the decade. And then you let him know six months later you're done with him. Like, he's going to make you pay for the rest of your life, you know? <laughs> so, I just, you know, maybe Warrior's the perfect champion to try, but not be bound to. It could be. It's so hard for me to picture that story about him going back yeah. and crying. Um, no. Based not just on his wrestling character, but on kind of who he always was uh, in other interviews and stuff. So I won't say it's impossible. I will say maybe he was just crying because Hogan made him wrestle a long match and he didn't want to. <laughs> um, 
so consider that if you will. Uh, but it does put me in mind, it's another weird parallel, I think we mentioned it before, is it just another Flair Sting situation mm-hmm. where Hogan passed off the title to a guy he knew he could probably get it back from if he needed to? I don't know, but it really could be. So that's an interesting parallel between these two weirdly parallel guys of this time. I do believe that's true. I think this one's a more complicated because I think Vince is the one that wanted it to happen, but I mm-hmm. think that you're seeing a very compliant Hulk Hogan, which is so weird, yeah. you know. He's even putting him over today on our show, you know, as being the like all these things that we'll get into. But <laughs> Easy to put over a dead guy. Um, but, oh, yeah, you mean in these promos. Yeah, you're right, you're right. But I think he knows for a fact, you know, that Warrior can't do this, you right. know. And I know Flair knew for a fact. I think he likes Sting, so I think he wanted to groom Sting. I think he liked working with Sting, but I also nobody in this world can tell me that part of the reason that Flair did what he did was not because he knew that he would get the belt back to Sting. <laughs> I mean, uh, we talked a lot about how I think in Flair's mind it was going to be Flair number one and Sting number two until the cows came home, and he pretty much got his wish in that way. So um, take that for what you will. I think he knew that Sting would be just as happy with it as he would be. So. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yes, go listen. We laid out the evidence for many years, so please check that out. My God. And so Warrior, in a way, I guess, is going to do... He's going to do the minimum that he's supposed to do. He's going to move merchandise for a little while. He's going to give them to WrestleMania. But I... That wouldn't even be what I would argue. Like, I'd be a little bit afraid of it, because I still can't see him, like... They give him a five-minute segment, and it seems like he doesn't know what he's doing, and... Even WWF, I feel like they're trying to give him a character all of a sudden. And by the end of the show, I saw something I've never seen in my life. So we'll get into all of that. But okay. it's one thing to to make a crowd make noise or even buy a T-shirt. But again, this man's going to be your ring general. He's going to be the driver. He's going to be in the driving seat of your company. So, you know, more power to you. But we got a lot to do. This fan has blessed us deeply with some uh, bonus stuff that... I uh, will let you just jump in and do what you want to do. Well, I got to ask you first, because um, uh, I can't really decide. Do we want to do the good news or the bad news first? Because, like, there's there's stuff that I, I'm excited to talk about positively, and there's stuff that I really have to come down on. So what do we We can just start? get the bad news out of the way. All right, okay, let's jump right into uh, the main event then. Um, February 23, 1990, it's on the network. Under Saturday night's main event, uh, how far we have come from some of our past main events, Hogan versus Andre rematch, this ain't that, I'll just say that flat out, but um, yeah, uh, we jump right in, we got a, a couple of rapid fire promos, not too many because uh, there's hardly anybody on this show, it's very short, there's only two matches, we start with Macho Man, which is a nice throwback, he's got his fist to the camera, he is ready to punch Hulk Hogan, we also see a guy that we are going to hear an unbelievable amount about in uh, Buster Douglas, who is being instructed by Jack Tunney in person, because he is the special enforcer, I gotta say I pot for Jack Tunney being there in person, which he rarely is, he's usually just, uh, you know, out in a void, kind of giving direction, um, Oh, boy. His manager tells him he needs to knock somebody out like Mike Tyson if needed. So that is something that happened, that changed, that we talked about a little bit since the last event. No Mike Tyson here, although you will hear his name often. 
Hulk Hogan is there as well. He hypes up Buster Douglas. He says something will explode tonight. Yeah, so um, I will just put on a blast. I think we might have opposite opinions about every last thing on this show. So, you know, it it might produce at least some fun conversation. Uh, I like Savage's promo. Savage says uh, about Buster Douglas, stay in line or I'll give you a thrill because if the right one don't get you, the left one will. And (laughs) Savage and Sherry, like someone really needs, I think, to be paying attention to Savage and Sherry because I think that they are hyping each other up in a way that probably makes a lot of sense between them. But when they venture out into the rest of the world, that they are a little bit scary. And I think they're growing in their power together. They are very frightening. I, I, um, yeah, they're calling on, the powers that the ultimate warrior only kind of uh, makes mention to they, they are um, mm. convincing me a lot more that they're from another plane yeah. of existence. They're touching something that you can actually uh, understand or at least feel or put into a, put into a, both a consequence and a reason. Uh, I was also yeah. happy to see Jack Tunney, um, Buster Douglas. This is an interesting thing because WWF was put against the wall because Mike Tyson is so big in this time and they're going to have Mike Tyson. And this is just, you know, it's everything that you could want. And then Mike Tyson uh, gets knocked out and they they still pitch Mike Tyson like this is a good chance to redeem yourself, you know, to come back to show like, hey, you're still in the mix. But you know, Mike Tyson, they pull out and then they don't really even know Buster Douglas. And so they reach out to him and he's willing to do it. Uh, I'll have some Buster Douglas stories later, but okay. he's back okay. there with uh, Jack Tunney. And uh, let's see if I had any notes. Uh, yeah, again, they're going to take so many shots at Mike Tyson that I was thinking it's, it's wild to me that Mike Tyson ended up in the WWF later because I know that Mike Tyson's always been a WWF fan. So he, there's, a, there's a decent chance that he's sitting, he's sitting at home watching all of this as it unfolds. I... Mike Tyson is a guy I know enough about him to know that I feel like I could never be in his head anyway. Mm. Um, he's just uh, an outlandish person. Um, so I-, I won't even try to comment on the mental state that he is in. Yeah, hug his promo, nothing to it. I, the only quote I have is the one you had, which is something's going to explode, which is pretty much a stay tuned. So here we go. We got two title matches, an IC and world title matchup, and uh, – that is kind of the main event, the frame for the main event uh, tonight. Indeed, we have Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura on the call. Vince tells us that Mike Tyson was pulled out by his management at the last minute. And I got to say, I don't know hardly anything about boxing. I did just a little bit of research for this. And uh, even in that little amount of time, I saw so many bad comments about Don King that I have to wonder if that was the reason that um, they mm-hmm. were happy to move over to Buster Douglas because uh, it sounds like he was awful to work with. Um, again, don't know anything about it, so uh, I won't speak further on it than that. But uh, Ventura does praise Buster Douglas and we're going to hear a lot of things about boxing. So if that's not your thing, then, um, well, get ready because you're going to hear a lot about it. And... Yeah, I never watched boxing in my life. But as a kid, I knew the names Mike Tyson, I knew Buster Douglas, and I knew Evander Holyfield just by name because yeah. boxing was so large at this time. And I think it's – I don't know, again, because I didn't watch it, but I think a lot of it is Mike Tyson and Don King driven. Yeah. Um, but – there's no way that this is what WWF would have preferred, and I think the kind of ugly tone that we're getting uh, on there indicates that a bit. Absolutely. What a weird thing with Buster Douglas. I was looking that up as well. I saw he beat Mike Tyson when he wasn't supposed to. Like, nobody expected yeah. that this would happen, and it's this huge underdog story, which is cool. But then he also 
he'll just he'll just lose the title to to the other guy you mentioned, the Holyfield, um, yeah. and he'll go away. And like uh, he uh, he never even defended the title apart from that. So uh, weird story, kind of inspirational, yeah. but kind of not. I don't even know how to take that on short yeah. notice. <laughs> I will just jump. I'll go ahead and do my Buster Douglas sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Go ahead. You know, since you brought that up. I didn't know him, so I looked him up. And kind of what you're talking about, this was never supposed to happen. Like, it was simply not supposed to happen. And I think it, it kind of proves itself out. It's like the great pro wrestling stories. Like, we're going to see, like, oh, Shawn Michaels and Chris Benoit and, you know, these guys. Oh, they did the thing. But it's also real life. So when they weren't supposed to do the thing, you know, that ends up telling on you because it's not scripted. Um, Douglas uh, said Douglas actually went through a rough patch I think it seems like one of the worst times in his life was after he beat Mike Tyson so he said out of the first six months I retained the title four months of it was going through all of that madness with the court case and I think this is Don King related Um, and then the last two months was trying to hurry up to get ready to defend the title so the court case was due to Douglas Douglas filed a lawsuit to break his promotional contract with promoter Don King, um, Douglas claimed King breached their contract when he tried to have Douglas's win against Tyson overturned, which you know sounds fair from at least the outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, this stuff is just so hard, man. It was hard. For, like I don't even know Buster Douglas, but when I saw him, I, I thought two things when I first saw him, and the first time I ever saw him, I think might have been on the show. Mm-hmm. I thought he looks like a really nice guy, and he doesn't look like a boxer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see. So the fight with um, Holyfield, like he made a lot of money on that. Um, where is it? Okay, so they come into the match. Uh, this is Holy Evander Holyfield and um, Buster Douglas. Um, this is Doug. I, 208 pounds is Holyfield, I think. Oh, yeah, so... but. The, Holyfield weighs 208 pounds. Buster Douglas is up at 246 pounds by the time that the fight <laughs> takes place. Um, and the odds just go even further in, like the betting odds go even further in Holyfield's direction when they see kind of the shape that Douglas shows up in. And it looks like Holyfield just has his weight with him. And so Douglas earned $24 million for the fight, it looks like, from what I'm reading. But... The criticism and scorn for his performance from everyone around him had him retire from the sport for over five years. Douglas had health issues as he ballooned to roughly 400 pounds. His blood sugar count went up to 800, and he went into a diabetic coma during his time off as well. Wow. So this is just an unbelievable story where for five minutes in this world, this guy did something that nobody could do and he should not, it seems like, been able to do. And it just so happened to coincide with a tiny pro wrestling window, which overlaps, which is why we're talking about it. And it's an amazing thing. Like, if, if you do think that money is everything and money doesn't matter, we know that. But this man is going to knock out Mike Tyson and he's going to make $24 million, it looks like, on his next fight. And then he's going to, his whole entire existence is going to go to hell. It's, it's a sad. It was a lot to a lot of information to get in one reading. <laughs> God, is he is he okay? Like I'm very invested now in this poor guy who yeah. uh, his life. I, I know he's alive still. I saw that, but I didn't kind of read if he was doing better now. I sure hope he is. I hope so too. I didn't look past that because that was like there's a lot of material to consume and it's all just 
like what a world that we live in like mm. it's just I think that's a thing you don't understand as a child and maybe even sometimes as an adult is we all got different constitutions and temperaments and you know you cannot understand Mike Tyson but Mike Tyson feels like kind of the guy that good bad and ugly he can be in the spotlight and he, he can handle it you know not everybody's like that and I don't think I'm like that. I think I have a constitution that that cannot take a lot of just constant stress and constant attack. In fact, I know that, and I don't know what Buster Douglas has, but man, that's a, that's a quick fall from grace. That's a Cinderella story. It's also just how disgusting we are because I guess we got the right articles. We got we do shows like this. We we insult people. We compliment people. But you gotta really be careful. Like you got to like I don't understand it, especially if. Like number one, these are this is not gimmicks. These are these are human beings. But if you knock out Mike Tyson when you're not supposed to, if you get destroyed by Evander Holyfield, like why is that a shock? Why should there be scorn? It should almost be that's the expectation. But my God, at least he got here, you know? Right, right, for sure. I uh, I'm sure I don't always succeed on this, but I do try to be gentle on this show because yes, these are people. And even when I am uh, scorning their gimmicks and their performances, I'm not out to, uh, um, you know, God, uh, destroy a person or hurt a person. I guess I probably don't have the power to anyway, but um, you never know. So I try to be gentle. I try to be kind. Um, I don't always succeed. But uh, I'll say reading a little more on Buster Douglas, it sounds like he did get somewhat back in shape. He returned to boxing. He didn't do all that well. But uh, at least um, not 400 pounds, not going into comas. Um, yeah. You know, still alive today. I saw a picture of him. He doesn't look too bad. So I'm hoping that he managed to just kind of like put together a decent, um, maybe quiet existence again. That that might be the best thing for him at that point. Yeah, I can't talk about some things right now, man. You, you don't even know these things, but oh, I will say this: a quiet existence right now sounds like the best thing that a human being can have. Mm, for sure. Hope you're doing all right, bud. Man, <laughs> okay. this is. This is wild stuff, you know? Right, right. And he seems like, the reason I looked him up, like, I, I hit pause on him almost the minute I saw him, because, like, it really <laughs> felt like, in the best and worst ways, this is a guy who's not supposed to be here. Mm. Like, it looked like a fan. Like, he looked, even though he's not even a WWE fan that I know of, like, he just looked happy. He looked like a good guy, and that is like, okay, that's great, and I like that, but... You know, the world that you're in, I don't know if that's the greatest character trait that's going to jump out or not. <laughs> he, um, you'll make an awkward yet somehow authentic comment at the end of the show about he was going to go out and, like, drink some milk with Hulk yes. Hogan. That was probably the most authentic moment that uh, it seemed like he had, even though it was very uh, stilted at the same yeah. time. Yeah, so, you know, props to him, though, because he didn't have to, like, he could have easily said, I'm the world champion. And I know the first thing or early thing I'm going to do, I'm not going to a wrestling event to, you know, play this referee. <laughs> so good for him for doing that. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. So he is going to be here. He's going to get a lot of conversation on the show and uh, from us as well, it seems. So a lot of Buster Douglas coming your way. Yeah, so we go to Gene Erklin. At least we got two Savage and Sherry promos earlier, right? Yes, we do have that at least. I'll say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have some moaning to do um, on this show, as I've already alluded to. But uh, out of this main event, out of everyone featured, Randy Savage and Sensational Sherry, like 
like many steps above the rest, I would say. Like they they are shining stars here, and I don't think they get treated as such, but they are regardless. They hustle. I will. I have some stuff to say in the matchup, but okay. anything anything about this promo here? Uh, Savage reveals he found out Mike Tyson's grandma is a Hulkamaniac, so I guess it's good he wasn't here. Um, oh man, I'm gonna talk about this more later, but. Mm, Savage in 98 is growing in my mind so much. Um, I'll put that aside for now. Uh, he warns Buster Douglas. Sherry, <laughs> this is why I love Sherry, because she's like, oh, tonight. Ah! It's like, yes. it's not, you know, I feel like it's what the warrior is going for sometimes. And yet when Sherry does it to me, it's like magic, because I understand in a moment what she means by her screech. Whereas Ultimate Warrior will, like, snort like a pig, and I'll be like, okay, I don't understand what I'm meant to take away from that. When Sherry does it, Jesus, man, like, I get a chill up my spine. Yeah, I am legit afraid of Sherry. <laughs> There's a moment when, in the matchup, when, when we'll get to it when Buster Douglas kicks her out, where it's like, the authenticity here, and she's playing a character that we... we, we we have compared to a Disney character and yet the authenticity because she's plugged in. And that's a thing. I don't think you can teach that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell someone what their gimmick is, but you can't tell them where the switch is and how to plug it in. Yeah. Again, it's the difference between uh, authentic and realistic because uh, you would not say a Disney villain is realistic and mm-hmm. yet they are so authentic to what they need to be. And, yeah. uh, that authenticity will vibrate with you as a child and maybe even as an adult if you have the right spirit. So uh, I, I dig that comparison very much. Yeah, please bring up that difference anytime you feel you need to, because I keep hearing that and it, it has a mark on me, then I forget. But yeah, realistic and authentic are not the same thing. They are not. Oh my gosh. I, I love the way that all these word games, like Savage is like, uh, he better call it right down the middle, on the level, even Steven. And he just, all these, like, okay, you've already said that, but it's just. They keep hyping each other. Like, Sherry's, like, lifting her arms into shadows behind them. And, you know, they're speaking into some kind of great fire and abyss. And they're not even talking to us. But we know we're going to be the ones that pay the price for it. So we better listen at the same time. Absolutely. Man, the way they talk, the way they move, it almost feels ritualistic. Like, they have these words of power. And they're repeating them, these actions, these things that hype them up further. Uh, We're going to watch a few short Randy Savage promos later, and I figured all three times he's going to say, expect the unexpected, yes. and it's just going to hype him up further every time he says it. It's also, I've never in my life, I don't think, seen a heel take a potential excuse off the table. So that comment about, he found out about Tyson's family and they were Hulkamaniacs, and it's good that he's gone. Like, I've never seen a heel go that route before. <laughs> the bravery of Randy Savage. We will see on the show, Randy Savage is nothing if not brave. Um, though I think he will be severely mistreated by the end of all this. I do wonder in part if they would have, if Sherry and Savage would have a weakness, it might be actually winning matches because (laughs) it doesn't seem like they have a strategic game plan that's based around like the practical issues of wrestling and winning. It's like they have a, a gigantic mission. Like let's run around a lot of the, let's run around the ring a lot. Let's jump up and down and let's like fly in the air and let's like build a fire over here and let's like worship this thing over the, in the other direction, you know? And if we happen to win also, you know, that'd be cool. <laughs> there's a, uh, there's so much evidence that Savage likes to plan out his matches. So I've never doubted it. And yet when you see a lot of his performances, they do feel so wild. So uh, unplanned, so out of control, 
So uh, I I don't know. Like, did he plan every match? He just planned like his big matches, and the rest of them he was just kind of like acting out in Randy Savage's ways. I don't know. I certainly could believe the latter because yes, like his plan, his game plan um, at times is unclear, and he's just following kind of the crazy instincts of the madness, I suppose. I believe it's a mixed bag because mm. people like to say that, and like there's definitely matches that he planned, but. I've heard Bret Hart say that they had matches that they just created on the fly. You know, I've heard other situations. So I I think that it's um, different times, different things. Gotta be. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't think people would stand for him sitting down and planning out every single match with, like, the way he did with Steamboat, with, like, the 83 points of articulation or whatever it was. No, and I've also heard that when Diamond Dallas uh, came to WWF, they told him, because Diamond Dallas, I think, did plan out yes. everything. Yeah. And they told him, do not take a written plan to The Undertaker. And he <laughs> took a written plan to The Undertaker, you know. Oh, and Poor DDP. Yeah, it, it didn't go well. And uh, people would not tolerate it. I think, I can't remember if I'm remembering right, Benoit might have hit a story where they did something to him. The Diamond Dallas, you know, people were not going for that written plan. So, like, it's hard for me to believe that Savage did that all the time. It's like one of the forefathers of WWF. Yeah. But, yeah, it was so shocking when DDP did it. So I don't think Savage did it all the time. Man, eventually we'll get there. But, man, DDP versus Undertaker could have been so good. And the fact that it won't be is going to be a big indictment of somebody. So we're going to talk about that when we get there. So Absolutely. All right. Um, here's something I don't think we talked about. I love the double throne for Sherry and Savage that yes. they come out on together. That's a beautiful little piece of prop right there. Yeah, and because Hogan's champion and comes out last, Savage gets to actually you know walk off of it and not get flipped over like he did last time he was on there. <laughs> So. Thank God for that. Absolutely. All right, so Hulk Hogan's in the back with Gene Oakland. Um, he had to crawl and scratch to get to the top. Uh, who's he talking about? Oh, Buster Douglas, just like me. Uh, he believes in God himself like Hulk Hogan. He was chosen. I love the fact that he believes in God himself, and he's a chosen one. But if he gets out of line, uh, there's going to be a problem, and, and Hulk Hogan will unify the belts tonight. <laughs> So he's yes. both chosen by it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Hogan somehow says that he will uh, win Buster's boxing championship tonight, um, which is ludicrous, but at least um, I'm comparing and contrasting these promos to Warrior, and at least I actually enjoy this craziness because I can kind of sit back and just, like, shake my head and be like, this is this is ridiculous, you know, whereas there's nothing fun to say about a lot of Warrior stuff, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like... He doesn't even, does he even mention Randy Savage in this promo? Like, this is the start of something that I did not enjoy, because it's Buster Douglas, Buster Douglas, Buster Douglas, and, like, God, I know it's very on brand for the WWF to kind of forget their wrestling company every time somebody who's not in wrestling shows up, but, man, like, they were over the top here, I thought. It is all Buster Douglas all day long. I think they'll finish the show talking to Buster Douglas, so yeah. it's like, it's just too much, man. It turned me off after a while. Yeah, I I, I definitely think if you're going to watch this from a Randy Savage-centric, uh, <laughs> you, you can enjoy it still because you're, if you just like watch Savage, but if you, the booking of it, because Savage is, Savage is beneath Buster Douglas, but also Hogan is, Hogan and the Warrior in their program, so like Savage is, like, third, like he's not even just behind Buster Douglas. Yeah. 
Yeah, so this has nothing. He said, I think he only says it's probably the last time I'll face Randy Savage. So (laughs) that's it. He does say that. Yeah, Randy Savage, they he's down with Dino Bravo, honestly. Um, like, they're on the same tier on this show. And it did bother me, because I, I love Randy Savage. He's doing so well. I feel like he gets no respect for it on this show. So it did bother me. It annoyed me. I wasn't into that part of it. Yeah, I can absolutely understand that. Um, I think the only reason I didn't feel that way is because... I don't know if I was... This is, this is probably exactly what I was expecting. And then Savage does such a good job... You know, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely see it if you're just looking from the kind of booking perspective. Like we are not. What is this? 1990? It, it'll be 1992 before Savage. Savage is gonna retire and come back before he's kind of in the world title picture. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, he's definitely um, going in a different direction than maybe we would want him to be going in. Yeah, really, anywhere but here would be better because yeah, with Dusty it'll be fun. With Jake it'll be fun. With Warrior, you know, we're gonna like that's supposed to be a high point. I remember that as a high point, so I'm I'm hoping it still um, sits up there. So yeah, I don't know. It's the worst place for him to be. He feels so uh, meaningless. So I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, one last thing about this Hogan promo. <laughs> I just have to mention it. He congratulates both himself and Buster Douglas. For not being selfish, so please take <laughs> nice. that for what you will. <laughs> yes, it's a it's all it's a typical Hulk Hogan. It, as long as you do right and walk in, in in his desires, you are anointed by God. If you step out of place, you were never anointed, and you've always been evil. Ah, oh, the cult of Hulkamania. I, I'll, a, a phrase came through my head repeatedly as I was watching through the show and these promos, and that phrase was uh, the increasingly unlikable Hulk Hogan. Mm. Um, <laughs> just over and over, like uh, we are not in uh, we are not in the mid '80s anymore. We are seeing a Hulk Hogan who is demonstrably different than that Hulk Hogan, and he's really starting to get under my skin. One has to wonder now that you're saying that that did Buster Douglas save Hulkamania? Because <laughs> Mike Tyson would not have understood or tolerated any of that nonsense. An Ultimate Warrior doesn't understand it or tolerate it. So he would have had two people in the building at one time who that rhetoric would not have worked on. Oh, man. I think you need more than two to put down Hulk Hogan, even if yeah. there are those two. But maybe. You never know. Or it might just prove Hulkamania more because, like, all these people are just proving <laughs> themselves, like, showing themselves. I honestly – I don't know what they would have done with Tyson because, like, he's – I, it doesn't really exist, but it does. He was sort of like a heel, wasn't he? Like, he was kind of the bad guy, I thought. Maybe that doesn't track. I have no idea. I'm speaking out of my depth, so I won't go further, but that was just my impression. It feels like they would have done the same thing because yeah. of the fact that they were building up. Like Even before this show, Savage was saying that if he finds out that, like, a great-grandmother or something was a, <laughs> was a Hogan fan, you know. Yeah, the rhetoric so was it, the same, so they probably yeah. would have. But still, it would have. I feel like it would have been weirder because Mike Tyson is not like a nice person. He's like no. biting ears and other bad legal stuff. So you know, it, yeah. Oh well. I think it, it would have done the one thing they wanted. They wanted attention, like they always want attention. They want to be on the ESPN, and yeah. I think I don't know how much this was played or not played in mainstream, but I think however much it was or wasn't, it would have been more with Mike Tyson. Probably so. Although, yeah, I don't know, Buster Douglas, like, his win, I it was a huge deal, I think. So, yeah, yeah who knows, who knows. Uh, speaking of Buster Douglas, they do, they take time to interview him a second time, second time out of three times that we will have Buster <laughs> Douglas promos. Um, 
Did he say anything interesting? I kind of zoned out, to be honest. Uh, he just takes a shot at Mike Tyson as well. Um, he said that uh, he, when Mike Tyson put his tail between his legs and ran away, he knew he had to step in uh, for for the situation. Uh, that's a nice thing to say about a guy that you will not give a rematch to. So Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you believe that part of the way WWF is going to go down soon and they're not going to reach these levels again until Mike Tyson, who is the devil yeah. on the show, like returns and helps them with it or God. makes his debut. Maybe Mike Tyson placed a curse on them or something. Yeah. Had to come back and break it. <laughs> it's a strange world because I would think watching this that there would never be a relationship uh, with, with Tyson, especially with him being a fan because like, I know I'd be so pissed off if I enjoyed this product and everybody was burying me. True. I have to question if he did watch it, because you can be a fan, but man, if you're going through stuff like Tyson probably was yeah. at this time, you don't maybe necessarily turn on the thing where you know you got replaced. So That's also, fair. I feel like people who are successful on that level, they don't think the same way that you and I do. So yeah. God knows, like they, they're not introspective. They're not thinking about stuff in this way. He was probably just like forging on into some new crazy thing. Who knows, you know, but that that's outside of my realm of thinking, I think. Yeah, I think in that public world, whether it's a marketing or attorney or Vince McMahon, you know, they all have the opinion that, well, they would they would destroy me and I would destroy them. It's all part of the game. Yeah, that's yeah, how the game works. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, God, that's that's one way to live. <laughs> um, getting to the match, I got to say, I was real afraid Savage had uh, donned his shirt here. Um, yes. But he took it off after the first move. I was very grateful for that. Every time, hold on. Every time I see that shirt, I'm thinking about you and and how your like fandom is going or not with watching the match because that's now <laughs> the marker to me of like if Savage is on the way up or on the way down. I it feels like it means a lot and it doesn't mean everything because I think he wears the shirt at WrestleMania eight and I love that event so I you know I love that match that storyline so it's not the tell all symbol. But I do feel like it tells something, so I'm definitely watching that wardrobe carefully. Yeah, it's a strange thing because like he never like, he he's not as strong at times. Like when he comes to WCW, he's gonna be jacked up again. Mm-hmm. But like most of the time, you, when you see someone cover their body in wrestling when they didn't before, like it's because they're not taking care of themselves. And I don't know. It just seems like WWF found a way to make Savage think that he was 10 or 15 years older than he was. Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to be a weird story. We'll cover it a lot as we go through it. I think people talk a lot about um, WCW. Oh, they were so mean to Ric Flair and they like made him insecure and they made him feel bad and all this stuff. And I think it's very true. Um, But what we don't talk about is, yeah, did WWF do the same thing to Randy Savage? They make feel him insecure. Did they kind of ruin his life? At times, did they give him this weird complex where he will always be subservient to Hulk Hogan? I don't know. It's uh, it's possible. There, there's some blame to go around there, perhaps. I might argue that they did Savage worse in the great in the totality because they've also made him like he almost never existed and had no influence. Sure. And yeah, with Ric Flair, they could swoop in and be like, "Oh, we'll treat you better. We'll be nice. We'll we'll make your legacy something again." And uh, who was there to help out Randy Savage? Nobody. So, you know, that's a whole different scenario. They must have really believed he didn't have drawing power, though, because mm. I can't 
how can you be in a new generation where like everything is kind of desperate and Savage is offering to put over all these guys and you don't even take him up on it? Like it's just it's strange to me. I don't know if it's just, you know, that when you decide your marketing is new generation and you want to make fun of people who aren't that you just got to be that completely or if there was something else. But Savage still got a lot of unexplainable story that we've got to try to work our way through. It's extremely weird because they'll be using Ultimate Warrior in 1996 when he comes yeah. back. Um, and they'll point. be using Roddy Piper intermittently uh, for a lot of that time. And they'll they'll have Ted DiBiase on screen a lot, you know, through no generation, even though he's not in the ring. So I guess maybe that's kind of the same type of thing. And he was retired anyway. But, yeah, it's, it's clearly weren't entirely opposed to using these older people. And yet with Savage, I don't know. They just, um, it just didn't. I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah. And so he's still got some good. He's still got some good times ahead of him. Oh, before some we get great there. times, man. Absolutely. There's a reason I'm pitching him to be like in that 98 main event. Like instead, I, I would honestly at this point, I'll, 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 I'll save that for later on. But um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot that Savage could still do, obviously. Um, okay. So this man, this is what bothered me, especially in this match. Randy Savage all the time is trying to do his normal moves that he does in every match, and friggin' Buster Douglas is just in the way, he's interfering, he's, like, helping Hulk Hogan, um, and I don't know, it it, it soured this whole match for me, because, yeah, Savage is out there, he's doing a great job, like always, and then, yeah, this stupid boxing guy that I don't care about (laughs) is just, like, ruining the match, and he's ruining Savage's chances, so I I was kind of you know, worked up about this a little. I was pissed off by the way this match went, not to mention the fact that Randy Savage, like, to me, there was no clearer symbol than this match. Hey, Randy Savage, you are not a threat to Hulk Hogan. You're nobody anymore. You might as well be King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania 3. Go wrestle some midgets and just, you know, get out of here. Don't bother us in our main event anymore. Like, this is the last time we'll put you in the main event. So, yeah, you called it, I think, that I just I was thinking very Savage-centric here. And um, and it, it bothered me. It really got under my skin here. Man, it's so weird how you can watch the, the same thing and see it differently. Because now, I, like when you say that, like I understand everything that you're saying. Uh-huh. But when I when I see Buster Douglas interfering, like to me, Savage dominated a lot of the match, had his way with Hogan, and you got a referee who was cheating to keep Randy Savage from having the advantage. Like to me, that that made him like I felt better because of that than worse because of that. Because then it at least looks like well, Savage is having his way with him. He won't let him do his moves. He's not doing this for Hogan. So for me, it kind of tilted the thing the other way. You know, I, I can also see that as well. So I'll give credit to your viewpoint. But that is not how my felt sense reacted to this match. So sometimes it's more about feeling than um, than the things you can kind of uh, interpret intellectually. But when a guy's in a program with Dusty Rhodes, he sure can't be like beating Hulk Hogan, that's for sure. <laughs> I'll just say, looking forward, I'll say thank God for that program, because we're going to have a much more fun Randy Savage match later on, in my opinion. So. Now, I will say this, and I alluded to this earlier. When you go back and watch this, folks, when Buster Douglas kicks out Sherry, like he has to chase her out, and like he'll chase her a few steps, and then she stops, and he chases more, and she runs. Look at her face. Like You can watch her face. She's trying to figure out in real time how to get him to stop chasing, how to get around him, how to either mentally make the building blow up or something, but you can see... <laughs> Like she is trying something with her face as she's running away, and it is like it is shocking and terrifying and amazing at the same time. 
yeah, I think half that and also half she's trying to figure out if she can take this guy. And, you know, she's probably figuring her odds are about 50-50, so she wants to, you know, <laughs> throw down. Man, I wouldn't fight Sherry for for $1,000 or more, you know. Like, she scares the crap out of me. <laughs> Later on, Sherry's she's going to roundhouse kick Dusty Rhodes in the head. It's the scariest thing in the world, so holy crap. Yeah, with a, I think, if I remember right, with a dress on, like a full all the way to your feet yeah, dress. Yeah, man. <laughs> You gonna somehow do that? Oh God! It's like when they talk about like dancing. Like the woman does it backwards and in heels, and she's doing yeah. she's doing a lot more work than you are. So you should respect and maybe be a little bit afraid of that power. I like that Buster Douglas knew he had to chase her all the way out, or, or that ejection was not gonna like qualify. <laughs> That's great, man. We put Sherry in the right place up there at the the big table with Heenan because um, yeah. she's wonderful. Uh, in the matchup, there Hook is punching Savage, and Jesse Ventura gets irate and says, "Tells the referee needs to get in there." And Vince says, "You know, oh well, you know, blah blah blah." And then uh, Savage is choking Hogan, and Vince gets irate and says, "The referee needs to get in there." And Jesse Ventura downplays it. So, <laughs> and this is what I picked up because yeah, uh, Earl Hebner does actually warn Hogan about his uh, closed fist, which he's using blatantly. And when he does this, Hogan like. Pulls back his fist, he threatens to hit Earl Hebner, and this is crazy. He reminds him of last year when he threw him out of the ring, or two years wow. ago. So if you didn't see that, and you didn't think Hollywood Hogan right there and then, like, I don't know what you were watching, because that, like, he clearly was like, I will throw you out of the ring just like two years ago when your evil twin was in here. So it's like, <laughs> wow, that's not yes. what a good guy does, I think. They don't threaten the official that way. Yeah, well, um, I, I will note that we have a babyface, babyface segment later, and uh, and they, instead of attacking each other, they both beat up referees. <laughs> you are correct. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'll say, so to your point, I am remembering there is some Savage dominant stuff, because at one point, um, Savage just, like, does the, like, one-foot pin on Hogan, mm-hmm. and, like, the referee is not there. At first, and Savage basically gets a three count on Hogan yeah. just with his foot, even though Vince is like, well, that referee was right on the money, which, no, he wasn't, Vince, so just stop. Um, but I guess, you know, to your point, there is some of that, that Savage actually weirdly looks better in this match than you might expect. Yeah, the minute Douglas tries to kick out Sherry, so he's on the other side of the ring, Savage then exploits the outside and does all those moves mm-hmm. that Douglas was blocking him, like the minute that that window opens up. Absolutely so, yeah. So, so yeah, some good stuff from Savage. Of course, in the end, uh, he is no match for Hulk Hogan, as always. Um, this bothered me, too, because Earl Hebner gets bumped for about one split second, <laughs> yes. and Buster Douglas just cannot wait to slide in and quickly count Savage's shoulders down. So I asked, where was he when Hebner was not there for that other pin? Of course, he yeah. was not around. So it's the babyface bully show in this first match. That's how I see it. It is. One of the best things, uh, Jesse Ventura is complaining about slow counts, and Vince is like, what do you mean? And he's like, the guy's winding up like he's throwing a baseball 200 yards. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <sighs> and also, the top rope elbow, man, he is so much. It's like an Eddie Guerrero frog splash with the hang time that Savage gets on his elbow in this match. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice elbow. I'll give you that. You're, you're so, winning me over a little bit because when I came out of this match, I was not having it. But now I'm remembering they were kind of I, I kind of uh, overlapped the good parts with the uh, with the bad parts. So fair enough. Credit to you for showing me some positivity. 
Thank you. I will say too, the Buster Douglas thing is such a screw job. You know, he is in the ring. I think before the referee even goes down, and he is like super <laughs> counting. And you know, it means that he is indeed a man of God after all. <laughs> I suppose yes. He and Hulk Hogan belong to the same cult, no doubt. <laughs> oh man! After the match, this really this riled me up because. Man, you got Savage who was mad at Buster Douglas, and I'm sorry if you watched the match. I don't know why you would think yeah. Savage wouldn't be mad at Buster Douglas because he was in the way and he was throwing out and chasing his manager around. He was stopping Savage from doing perfectly legal things, and then he slid in and counted that pin when he had no business doing it. So Savage and Buster, they're kind of facing off, and fucking Hulk Hogan, if you need to know why people will be booing Hogan as early as next year, yeah. let alone the 1992 Rumble, just watch his friggin' smug, gross attitude yes. when he is, like, trying to goad these two guys into fighting each other and just standing there and just being an asshole. Oh. So this is the only thing I liked out of this. Is Randy Savage, he's so pissed off, he slaps Buster Douglas. <laughs> And here is where I want to deviate just for a minute and just say again, if you keep Randy Savage in the main event in the WWF, I know you're a big Shawn Michaels fan. I don't know if you will agree with this or not, but if you replace Shawn Michaels in that WrestleMania 14 build and you have Savage, Austin, and Tyson in the same ring together in that famous segment, to me... Like, that's even better. Like, that elevates it to another level of danger in that segment. I don't know. It went so well that I can't say for sure I would replace it, but I would be strongly tempted by that idea because that is right at the end of Savage's kind of uh, main event usefulness, I think, and I think it would have been the perfect way for him to kind of move into the background finally. Yeah, here's here's what I think about that. I, I can see... This is just off felt sense. I can see a yes and a no, and I think either one could work. Okay. I think Michaels is this is another time that Michaels is misbehaving and he's not going to put Austin over properly. So on that regard, I think replacing him with Savage has got to be better because Austin deserved, you know, more than what he got when he was being put over. I think the one thing you'd have to be the same thing that could make it better could also be a problem. It needs to be booked by the best agents in the business because mm. there's something about like. Is Savage being almost the same kind of badass as Austin in some way going to water it down? Like, you got to really book it so that, you know, Austin doesn't lose whatever is unique about how he's coming on at the time. Mm. So, and I think I trust Savage to do it, but they got to, everybody who's booking it has to book it right. But I do think that if it's done, if both of them are done, like Austin Michaels to the level it went and Savage Austin to the level it could have went, I think it can, it could definitely surpass it. Yeah, I can see both of those points. I'll just say, I spent so much time thinking about Savage running in the WWF from like uh, 94 to 98 and all the things he could have, should have done in that time if they treated him right. And man, it's just a beautiful future to think about. So, man, I think about it a lot. I'll just say that. Um, Yeah, I think we should talk about it almost every year that we do the show (laughs) until we get there because, you know... Savage didn't have that early stuff with Undertaker, but Undertaker changes every year, so who knows what Savage could have done with Undertaker. You know, Savage, we already said Savage Michaels and Savage Brett, of course. Hmm. You know, but there's just, there's so much, you know? Yeah. And it wouldn't be that Savage, because if you're trying to book him credibly, like, he, you know, there's, there's so many, like Savage in the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat and the, all the clothes and stuff, like, 
he really feels like he's a hundred years old. And then in WCW, he's going to be like half that age, you know, or <laughs> more because you know, so that it doesn't make yeah. any sense. But yeah, I'm I'm willing to play that game anytime you want to play it on the show. Yeah. Um, in 1997, uh, Undertaker and uh, Sid will be stinking up in some stories, literally, the WrestleMania main event. Um, and at that same time, Savage will be just tearing the house down with DDP. So I yeah. ask you, if you put Undertaker versus Randy Savage in that 1997 event, what what does it do to elevate that WrestleMania, that period? I don't know. There's something special about that in my mind. Yeah, it's, it would be we have to think about it a million ways, because like, I wonder how he affects Bret Hart's run and Austin's. Yeah. And that's the only the, my only questions are like character stuff with that, because we still got to get Bret Hart to a world where he felt like he owned the place and always would. And he has his nervous breakdown and then he like beats up referees <laughs> and quits the promotion every week, you know. Yeah. So like the fight, it's, it's so interesting because. The fire that Savage brings outside the Attitude Era is the fire of the Attitude Era, yeah. you know. So, how would he complement that? Would he ever get in the way? Who would he have been in the era before that? Because there was no fire. Yeah, in the new generation, I guess Bret Hart might have, have intensity. Like he's really determined, but uh, it's not a fiery. Like you know, it's not a lot of fire. Yeah. It's almost like that would be silly. You know, like why are you gonna get so mad at like the 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 trash guy he's just trying to dump the trash off you know like what are you trying to do to him <laughs> yeah and uh we know for a fact that savage wanted to put bread over so yeah. I, I think there's easily a way to do that you know as I, I i like yokozuna a lot but still part of me thinks if brett's second wrestlemania 10 match is with randy savage instead and he puts him over there after getting beat by ho uh, by uh by owen how how much bigger does that look in the career of Brett than beating Yokozuna? Like to yeah. me, that elevates him even further. It gives him even more reason to think he like runs the show later on. Yeah, and then the minute Yokozuna doesn't matter anymore, Luger could actually beat him at WrestleMania 10 because then it doesn't matter if he does. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like you could change a lot of stuff with that. So man, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot that you can think about in that uh, scenario. I, yeah, Ooh. it's almost like. I like him as almost a godfather. Like, you know, yeah. he's feuding with Brett and Sean, but he's also trying to be like a father. Like, you know, so he's playing this role. And then if, if he did that right, where he's there, but he's almost like Undertaker and that he's also a boss or like Andre. Mm -hmm. But then, because you got to somehow get him out of the way for Brett, for Brett and Austin to happen. You got to make sure that he doesn't prevent that because that's so pivotal. Yeah. But then you got to fire him up if it's WrestleMania. So to me, I almost see it as, He's done everything he's supposed to do in the company for all those years, like 93, 94, 95, 96. Mm. And Bret Hart gets to be pissed off. Steve Austin gets to be pissed off. Well, Randy Savage gets to be pissed off. And you got to you got to turn him into a very ugly, I think, version of being pissed off. Because his pissed off has to look different than Austin's pissed off, yeah. you know, for it to work. But, man, I'd be, I, if it was my company, I'd be willing to take the headaches of trying to figure out all these turns in order to have Savage there for it. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a way to do it. So uh, instead of that bright future, we get the just grown inspiring for me moment where Hulk Hogan, and man, I couldn't believe 
Like, if you want to look up baby privilege, a uh, baby face privilege in the dictionary or baby face bullying, please put a picture of this moment in there because Hulk Hogan will shove Randy Savage into Buster Douglas so he can punch him. Both these guys, they're supposed to be like world champions, top of their field, and they got to team up to beat down this guy, Randy Savage, just because they're jerks. So that that is my read. That is my groan. I wrote, I am choking on this in my notes, and that that is how I felt at times in this bullying scene that we had to see. Yes, I, so I will I will uh, make a kind of like here's WWF I think statement, and I will join you on that. Uh, okay. That outrage, like it's obvious what they're going for, which is the only thing I think they go for now is like, they want to have their moment, you know, like oh my yeah. god, this will play on you know ESPN, like. Here's him slapping Douglas and then Douglas and knocking him out. And you can tell part of what Hogan's job is there is to get the fans into it because the fans don't seem like they care. But you need the fans to all be standing so that it makes like ESPN. I feel like that was the whole goal of it. Yeah, now when we get to what we do on the show, which is we actually care about the characters and the history and the storylines. There's nothing as gross. Like this man was supposed to be your brother and your best friend. Mm-hmm. And you're not in a feud. Like, you had the ugliest feud where you kind of turned on him, but, you know, people look past it because, hey, it's a business. But, like, why do you want him to suffer more? Like, why? what do you – like, you've got his belt. He lost his relationship. He lost everything that he had. And you still want him to suffer more. You still want to get him, see him knocked out. Like, what good thing could be driving that? And I think the answer is nothing. And I think it's sad for Randy Savage because we live in a world where laws can be unjust – and we can call ourselves a king because we feel like a king and we found a queen and we're getting into some spiritual stuff so that we can, you know, feel good about ourselves. And it looks like we have changed everything and we're back in the sky. And the minute our feet touch ground in that practical world governed by those practical laws, every bit of self-improvement, every bit of self-talk, every bit of king and queendom, every bit of belief is subjected not to spiritual rules but to the unjust, just laws of that land. And so Randy Savage's feet have to come down and touch an ugly, ugly earth. And he has to find out that even though I've gone a million miles away from all of this, I am still standing in the same place I was when all of this began. And that has to hurt a lot more than Buster Douglas and his right hand. Yeah, you were right about that. Um, Just a few more comments on that one. Um, The fans are very loud for this they're very into it so you can't Mm -hmm. take that away clearly they made the right choice for that live crowd so i will give respect to that and yet i will also remind everyone uh in uh, just about a year the booze for hogan will start and if you haven't heard me talk about burning goodwill i think this is another example because there's only so many times hulk hogan can misbehave before eventually those consequences start catching up to you and it never happens all at once you know if you're in that positive zone, people are going to try to keep you in that positive zone. But if you chip away at that, the consequences will come later. They won't be immediate. So that that's all I have to say about that. That's good to hear. I like, I like that comment. And again, the mystery of the mystic, but I needed to hear that line as well. So people don't get away with stuff forever um, is the message there. And I think with Hogan, it is twofold. So number one is simply uh, – if everybody is the problem, you know, then eventually 
people are going to say like, hey, did you ever think maybe it was you? You know, just don't, just maybe. And then the other thing is that you've also got to start noticing if you're a fan, if you're baby face fans, you never get to like a second person because they're going to get driven out of town or turned heel. And I think with Sid, like Sid is so wildly popular for no reason, really. He just comes in and he looks <laughs> like that and he talks like that. But during that Sid Justice thing, he's quite popular. Yeah. And I think it's, it is part of that burning goodwill, but it's also just also he doesn't even have to do anything wrong and we now we got to lose another one like you start to realize i can't even come to the show and enjoy it like i want to Mm. yeah yeah no that's a great point it's um (laughs) hogan's tower will uh tilt over and fall eventually (laughs) and uh, that's because he built in on so many shaky blocks but um Oh, that's the whole thing. We'll get into it. I'm going to be listening for the first time people are, are against Hulk Hogan because I yeah. think it happens before. I I don't remember this from watching the matches, but I just saw Undertaker make some comment about how like people cheered him over Hogan at Survivor Series in 91. I don't remember that, but I'm going to listen for it. I'm going to see if it happens at all before that because uh, you know, the tide is going to be turning for sure. And it's not going to be just at Royal Rumble 92. That's just going to be where it's most noticeable. Yeah, no, I, two things. I, I'll be shocked if it's the percentages that Undertaker put on it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's probably it probably is some of the fans. And, and not number one, that's interesting because that's the Undertaker you're wrestling. But number two, how close that's the end of 91 and it's the beginning of 92. So we know it looks like in that entire era – like they they want somebody, so maybe it's not even Undertaker or Sid. They just want somebody not not to be Hulk Hogan. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so we have a second match to talk about. I wish we didn't on this. Show. Okay, so we're getting to that. But here here's a fun point that you <laughs> okay. just made me think of because isn't this ironic that if every time you see a baby face, you're gonna ruin their reputation and turn them heel or run them off? that the fans, like, you would lose some of your popularity against The Undertaker because you would never suspect The Undertaker to take your fans so you're not targeting him like you're targeting everybody else. But the fans are so desperate that they move to, like, the the gray boots, gray gloves, dead man who just debuted, like, a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's just the changing of the times or... I don't, Hulk Hogan will start really just talking about insane things after a while. Like in that feud, I remember like his little spot promos are all about like, Oh, I see Hulkamaniacs in a mass grave and just Mm. like weird, like dark stuff that I don't know. He just thinks it's going to like work to be the pun against the undertaker or something, but it's like, it's too much, man. And this is going to be right on the heels of all the Sergeant Slaughter stuff. He's like, oh, he, he, I see him using tear gas and murdering Hulkamaniacs. And it's just like, yeah. Jesus, man, like your rhetoric is out of control. So yep. it all kind of comes together against him in the end. It's the WWF is always, and we'll get into this with Roddy Piper, WWF is always go big and go or go home. And a lot of times they just need to go home. Oh, you know? my gosh, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> because the Sergeant Slaughter, it, it's like – We'll go anywhere and have no ethics, and then as long as we can clean it up and make it work, it's going to be okay. And sometimes they get away with it, and sometimes it just falls on its face. Yep, yep, absolutely. You know? and, yeah, that was in the midst of actual like war going on too. Like you don't, mm. you don't need a wrestling program doing that. It's not necessary. And 
Uh, I think the 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 shine you're making me uh, uh, appreciate the Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior program for the first time in my life. So. <laughs> Because it's going to look uh, worse later on, yes. Yes, yeah, that shine is just going to keep coming off. And <laughs> WWF, if it needs anything, it needs its shine. Yeah, we gave Hulk Hogan a lot of uh, well-earned praise in the 80s, and we're going to give him all the crap he deserves in the 90s. He's going to deserve a lot of it. So. The Ultimate Warrior, I think he has a different speech pattern tonight than he's ever had. He certainly seems to be whispering more. Um and uh, I don't know. I'm going to talk about all this ultimate warrior stuff. Uh, okay. So he's here and he's growling about other planets. And I swear, I tried really hard to hear him and he's just like whispering so quietly and so gutturally half the time that I really don't know what he's talking about. So I don't know why people are into this. But here's the ultimate warrior, I guess. If you want to hear somebody whisper and growl and snort and not talk about anything that means anything, then here's your guy, I guess. Yeah, I had one of these promos where I was, I'm not – it can't be anybody's job to, like, to, to vary the volume by 30 or 40 points per <laughs> promo. So I'm not going to do it. Right. And so this one was stupid, and then he's about to have another one. But first, Jesse's going to go to Dino Bravo, and they're going to talk about the, <laughs> the bench press record again. <laughs> Um, Earthquake no longer has the flag on his gear, so I think he is on the verge of dumping Dino Bravo, which I think will dump him out of the company. So, um, Ventura congratulates Bravo in advance for winning, so there's a shot to your credibility, Jesse Ventura. You have not been paying attention, it seems. Um, Bravo talks for a while. I never heard him talk so much. He doesn't say anything interesting. Jimmy Hart... Shows us how far, how low our level of discourse has gone, because he says Warrior doesn't have earthquake insurance. So yeah. please take that for what you will, which is nothing. It's worth nothing at all. Yes, uh, we back to Warrior. So Warrior doesn't like you. He he doesn't use like with like structure. He will say structure like a at the end, and Warriors. He doesn't say Warriors. And I feel like there's going to be a time in his life, maybe before and after this, that he does. But this whole show, like, he, he's he got a whole different – and maybe I've just never heard him speak before. But, <laughs> like, I was just baffled, like, by his the entire promo, and I didn't know what was going on. Uh, it's just, like, dear God, like, I don't know if I'd rather not be able to understand. I think I'd rather not be able to because then he's not saying anything when he says stuff. But, yeah, it's you know, this is a guy. Know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that? It's almost better not to know. I agree. Yeah, I have nothing about except for that. <laughs> yeah, to your point, he says Hoke Hogan a lot. Um, you know, there's no L. I don't know why. Um, I, I tried really hard on the show to hear the things he said, and it's probably shortened my life or something, but um, <laughs> I'm going to share a little. He <sighs> Okerlund keeps this stupid narrative alive. He asks Warrior if he does have earthquake insurance. Warrior kind of mumbles, and then he says uh, he doesn't need life insurance because he doesn't have the blood of the normal. Oh and uh, he really seems to hate normal people because he insults <laughs> them a lot in these promos. Um, he claims his veins are of a different consistency. Um, huh. He says, I think he says, not even a natural disaster will profit me. And I don't know what that means. 
the thing, this is how you can tell that this is ridiculous. Gene Okerlund can't even make a pun out of what's happening. He's just like, okay, back to you, Vince. Like, he has yeah. no clever comments to share because I don't think he knows any better than anyone what just happened. This is what I'm talking about. At the end of the show, Gene's going to go off on him with language that is only used for heels. <laughs> yes, absolutely. In his last promo, I think probably before he wins the world title, is the babyface beating Hulk Hogan. Gene Okerlund is going to be treating him like a heel in the locker room. Absolutely. And, I mean, we know Okerlund's the ultimate Hulkamaniac, but even so, you're yeah. right. He's going to be like, get him out of here. So <laughs> yes. that's that's classic heel verbiage. Absolutely. Oh, man. I had at one point, like, why don't we treat this guy? This guy feels like he should be treated like the Shockmaster. Like, he came in <laughs> maybe for a month as a heel and he just, like, said these things, and then he disappeared, and we all just questioned for the rest of our lives what they were going for. <laughs> Credit again to whoever pitched uh, Warrior tripping down the ramp at, at uh, SummerSlam. Yeah. It would have solved a lot of problems, I think. So. This is it, man. This is the, the last time. We're, this is his final build before WrestleMania 6. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so this, ma- this match happens. Yeah. I don't know what to say, but, like, Warrior jumps in the ring. He tries to attack Dino Bravo before he's ready, which is another cool move, but it's fine. Um, For a second, I thought, well, maybe this match will just kind of be inoffensive. And then, I don't know what happened. For some reason, Warrior crawls under the ring. I don't know why. Jimmy Hart just sort of, like, stands by the apron until Warrior is ready to pull him under. And then Jimmy Hart has to come out, and, like, all his clothes are stripped off. So... I guess practicing for Santa Claus is mm. Ultimate Warrior. Um, I don't know. This was so bad. I thought this was terrible. Yeah, I feel like they were trying to make Warrior fun. Like, oh, he's got a character. <laughs> Look at him. He does stuff. But, man, I, it, was, it was disgusting. I can't stand that stuff like that. No. Then there's a bear hug on the Warrior, and Jesse Ventura says, <laughs> he's making it so the Warrior can't breathe, and Vince Man says, he breathes a different air than anyone I've known. So he doesn't. he's not breathing the air that they're breathing. It's a very unrelatable person from another dimension. Yeah. And i got to <laughs> say, <laughs> Dino yes. Bravo, he executes this bear hug like he was the Yeti. Um, mm. You know, just it's all hip motion yeah. for no reason, and it's just bad. So, yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know? I know, I know. Um, so Warrior wins, obviously. Jesse Ventura. I don't even know why you said that. Um, after the match, we get the real point of this because Earthquake attacks the Warrior and actually knocks him down, and he's gonna like sit on him from the second rope. And uh, Hulk Hogan runs down to save him, and then in a, I don't know if this moment shows that Warrior does or doesn't understand professional wrestling, but like the second Hogan hits the ring. Warrior just stands up anyway, so, like, he never needed the help. Mm. Uh, he was never in danger, I guess. Um, so I, I don't even know exactly how to interpret that. But um, he stands up, he and Hogan have words, and then Warrior just knocks over the referee because he's he's a dick, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they go face-to-face, and, you know, it's, it's, it's the same. They, they might as well have clotheslined each other again in the middle of the ring. <laughs> you know. Uh, Warrior's going to give us some insight, which is a first, you know, later that it's not even about being manipulated. In, in Warrior's opinion, something before the time of the Earth, I think, made this to happen. So Hogan's, you know, little ploys are not going to help him because, like, why be friendly when, like, they've been slated, I guess, for eternity for this to happen? So at least in that you get well, maybe why Warrior is behaving like that. 
I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, they're they're going to try to talk to both people, and it will not clear up much, but we'll talk about these promos anyway. Uh, backstage, Vince McMahon asked Hulk Hogan about his experiences with Warrior. They talk about the Royal Rumble. Hogan says, well, the Warrior was stalking me, yes. um, which is something. Uh yeah, he says, uh, I saw Warrior stalk me and my Hulkamaniacs. <laughs> of course, he has to stalk the children <laughs> as well. Um, he says, uh, Warrior is the most powerful force to attack Hulkamania. Mm. Um, he asked the Hulksters if lightning could strike twice, and they said yes, but he didn't believe them, apparently. Mm. So yeah, a little disconnect there between Hogan and his uh, Hulksters. And I guess now that I'm seeing it, they're kind of putting the storyline together at the last minute because I said Warrior's about to tell us, you know, the, the slated kind of fate of this. And then Hogan says that when he saw it in the Warrior's eyes, he saw mission, he saw destiny, so that he knew that there was nothing that could sway Warrior from, like, the path to come. <laughs> but he also says it was an accident when Warrior hit him at uh, yes, Saturday Night's main event. So this narrative feels all over the place. It's very strange. Um, yeah. Vince asked Hogan if he wanted to steal the spotlight by running down to help the warrior hogan says no i just watch warriors back so he's at his best at wrestlemania and uh, he says hulkamania will destroy the warrior um so we'll see if that is true i was trying to think if vince has done any backstage interviews on saturday night's main event i can't remember if he has uh, very few if any it's a rare yeah. occurrence for sure and it's you know it's that last kind of moment with Hogan before, you know, the fall. So it's, yeah. an, it's I think it matters in some weird way, whether it was for us or for them. It's, it's a curious uh, setup for that promo. Mm-hmm. It's also possible he just didn't want to be the one with Warrior, uh, as we will see yeah. in a moment. <laughs> so The Arkland did not either. So. Uh, yes, but he's not the boss, so he doesn't get to decide. Um, so what is this like... nonsense? In... Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. What is the nonsense in the background with the warrior wildness and all that garbage and stuff in the back? What, what is that? I have no idea. Um, Oakland is with Warrior, who is wandering around a locker room with a rope, I think, mm. around his neck. I don't know why. I don't um, know. Warrior snarls, and he snorts, and he says, Hulk Hogan, and uh, he whispers away from the camera, so who knows what he said during that <laughs> part. He says... I swear, I tried really hard to write down what he says. I think he says he is not gum. And he <laughs> says he saw walls in Hogan's eyes. Uh, he, he gets a little more coherent. He says he doesn't need Hogan's protection. He says, he says warriors have attached themselves to the structure and ride on his back. Mm. He says Hulkamaniacs are questioning... If Hogan has what it takes, he says he is the chosen one. And, yeah, I don't know. He has, like, weird drawings on the wall or something, and I guess the idea is, like, kids did it for him, and the kids love Warrior now, but he doesn't really care about them. Uh, <laughs> you know, but maybe they're attached to him like parasites, based on what he's saying. So, I don't know. As you said, even Gene Okerlund doesn't seem to like him at all, because he just keeps, like, yelling as they're trying to cut away and he's like, just go, just get him out of here. So I don't know if you can interpret this, you are more insightful than I am, I guess. Yeah. I didn't write a lot of it. I did. I know he said that this whole thing is beyond us, Hulk Hogan, and you still don't understand. So I guess if you think Hulk Hogan was all only about Hulkamania and like the power of Hulkamania, you might think they're similar, 
But we have covered for years of the show. Hogan's got one of the best ground games rhetorically. Like he can give you the spiritual stuff, but he's also like handling everything on the ground as well. And so Warrior is making Warrior is simply this thing. And the weird thing is, I don't know if it's even of the Warrior. Even though he says the spirit of the Warrior, it all it seems like it is beyond the Warrior, and he's just another tool. Like he really doesn't have a preference. He could be Hulk Hogan, and if he was supposed to lose, maybe he he should lose, but. You know, fate's going to do what it's going to do. And by God, I got to be a stupid wrestler and I got to do all these things I don't understand. Uh, but it's a weird thing to say that Hulk Hogan is the one who doesn't have his finger on the pulse. So uh, he's saying that Hogan doesn't see that big spiritual picture. Uh, he takes the mic from Gene Oakland and starts yelling in it. And Gene Oakland says, this is the final promo, folks, before the ultimate warrior becomes the biggest baby face in wrestling, ending Hulkamania. And it ends with Gene Oakland saying, I got the impression we've got a loose cannon on our hands. Please get him out of here. <laughs> well, he said one thing definitely right in there. Uh, he is a tool. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, this is crazy. Like, I know it's successful. A lot of people like it. Uh, at the time, you know, the kids liked it and, um, you know, got a lot of fans packing into that stadium. So clearly there's something there that I'm not accessing. But when I compare this to all the past WrestleMania builds, like, this is sad. This is pathetic to me. Yeah. Like, there's nothing here. Um, the whole thing is, like, we're both strong baby faces, and that's it. That's the whole story. That's that's a stupid story. Like, I'm not into that. I don't know. Yeah, and we have no reason to know who the Ultimate Warrior is. Like, he's all, up until now, he was just a guy who runs through the ring and then devours opponents. Then, like, tonight he became this kind of goofy, like, let's go under the ring and take your clothes off person, you know. And then he became the super spiritual person, like, you know, that this is some, this is predestined. And then he became, like, an unhinged uh, lunatic. Nobody says we got a loose cannon on our hands, and that's a compliment in any world. And then in the back you got all his merchandise and the little, it's like the little stingers, like it's a sting thing. Like, he's just a, he's just a, a friend of the kids, and I've seen zero impression of that, so. Absolutely. What is going on here? Um, I don't think they've successfully executed this. I don't think he probably could execute it. Is he going to move merchandise? Yes. Is he going to fill that arena? Yes. Is he going to carry the brand? Um, no. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. We got our last and final Buster Douglas promo. At this point, I think he might be the most likable guy of the three. Um, so that's that's something for him. Uh he says he has a blast. He says he and Hogan are going out drinking. Okerlund <laughs> is disturbed by this until uh, Buster Douglas clarifies, as I mentioned, that they're going to go drink milk. So yeah. take that again for what you will. Hogan likes buttermilk. He likes whole milk. Oh, wow. Yep. It was better than Warriors promo. It was. What isn't? Yeah, what isn't? <laughs> Brian Pillman's going to be the loose cannon, and, and there's going to be a gun incident. Like that's the that, that's the WWF reference I have to lose can. So we got a guy with a gun, um, and we got the the new hero of the children, and they are the two loose cannons in this promotion. <laughs> All right, good good luck with this uh, turn of the century, our uh, turn of the decade uh, move. Good WWF. Luck. Oh my gosh. While we're on this, um, I did send a link for uh, two more, or one each, Warrior Hogan promo um, just before WrestleMania. So I think uh, if you're amenable, if you can get to that part of your notes, maybe we'll just cover that here and get it over with. Yeah, I got really very little to say about it. (laughs) 
All right. So, again, I tried hard to listen here because it's supposed to be this big main event that we're supposed to care about. So, first we have Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan says WrestleMania 6 is more intense than every WrestleMania put together, which is stupid. Nope. It's not. Uh, he says he feels Hulkamania is in danger, so he went back to train True. at his old gym. He also talked to a magic mirror, and mm. he makes up some rhymes, and that mirror didn't give him a clear answer about what would happen, so that's something I didn't know Hulk Hogan did. <laughs> uh, he says yeah. Russell, go ahead. I think you almost have to be a kid at this time, and, <laughs> you know, let's say, you know, we got... In order for this to work, we got to put ourselves in a mindset that almost everyone's favorite wrestler probably would be Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior, mm. and they're not supposed to wrestle. And one of them is tech. Like all I can remember about the area, like one of them is not supposed to be able to beat the other one because their forces of good are so good that they can't be beating unless beat unless it's by a bad guy who breaks every rule. So mm. I think the only thing that does it and makes the match a success, but not the run, is the fact that there cannot be a winner based on kind of the history and lore of this world. And yet like with the mirror comment, you know, we we're understanding somebody's got to win and that's just an impossibility. And there's only one way to find out who it's going to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose so. Um, he says, uh, Hogan says WrestleMania will predict the future. And he, okay, this is, so he wonders if ultimate warrior was a Hulkamaniac who followed mm. Hulk Hogan's regimen to get here, but Hogan doesn't recognize him. Maybe that's why he wears the face paint, he wonders. <laughs> he says he will wipe off the paint and see if he's the new chosen one that he recognizes. And he, I guess this is his best way to frame it. He, he says Warrior has to prove if he's the ultimate Hulkamaniac. So, whew, wow. that's, that's one way to talk about the narrative here, I guess. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to like this. I think that's the impression, but that sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> he finds a way to ensnare every last person, even Warrior, who will not play any of his games. He has now found a net big enough for the whole, all the universe and all the worlds that Warrior. Because what what do you do here? So either if you're a Hulkamaniac in a way, like why are you doing this? You know, like everything you got was because of Hulk Hogan. If you're not a Hulkamaniac, you're suspect. So, like, you're, you're going to be guilty on some charge, you know. And I think it's masterful to say, like, why is he hiding behind that face paint, you know. Yeah. So, I think this is rhetoric to the children and probably their parents to let them know, like, oh, so you're just going to trust your uh, children to watch this uh, guy who can't show his face, huh? Okay? I'll step out of the way. You, know, you guys you guys all go to hell together. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> well, uh, if that's your feeling, then uh, I understand it. And um, I don't know if this next part will confirm or, or confuse what we've no. talked about because uh, Ultimate Warrior um, man he's especially off the deep end here so uh, interpreting as best I could uh, he has a question for Hulk Hogan he says Hulk Hogan will travel to Wrestlemania with the normals again speaking mm. derisively of the normals um, he says they will experience malfunctions and he wonders if Hogan will show self-pity. He also wonders if Hogan will comfort the normals who have even more fear than he does. He says that Hogan will kick down the cockpit door and take the pilots who have already made the sacrifice so mm. he can face the challenge. Uh, he says Hogan should shove the controls into a nosedive and self-destruct. 
Mm. And then he finally says something coherent. He says he is not the chosen one that Hogan speaks of. He says he is just the only one. So <laughs> I don't know what to make of any of this, but uh, that is what was said before WrestleMania six. I've noticed two things from that. There was some very hard truth at the end, but it was truth. <laughs> um, and then, so I guess your choice between these two is Hulk Hogan makes you feel special, but it's for being something that you're not like, you know, he gives you all these extra powers connected to him, but it makes you feel special. And warrior makes you feel terrible for all you could ever be. <laughs> yes. Warrior does not seem to like uh, normal people. He doesn't, uh, you know, have any association with them, despite what might be scribbled on his locker room wall. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's truly just, uh, like from an alien planet or something. I'm not knocking history folks. Cause I, this worked. I think we've said it set five times in the show now that this worked <laughs> in the moment, but this is an abomination. Yeah. And this does nothing. Yeah. This had no chance. I wrote in my notes somewhere. We had, we better be happy that we treated Hulk Hogan fairly in the eighties because if we had just come in and attacked him, oh, he's awful. All his matches are awful. His promos are awful. And then we said, oh, we don't really like Randy Savage's title reign as much as we ho- hoped. And then we talked about Warrior like this. We would be saying that this was one of the biggest and best eras of all time, and every world champion was pretty much, you know, like we would have no credibility. And we needed to say, we had no idea we needed to save all our credibility just to have this Warrior conversation. Because I'm acknowledging the success that he had in, in the moment, but. I can't tell you. We are at the end of the day now, and he has not done anything that's impressed me. And if anything, he's opened up and gotten worse. Mm. Yeah, agreed. I got nothing for Ultimate Warrior. He has shown me nothing that I can access, that I have any interest in. Um, he is wholly uh, outside of kind of what I can get into here. So that it just is what it is. I don't think he's going to win me over at this point. I'm going to have to watch that Savage feud and match closely because I do remember enjoying that. And now I almost wonder, am I still going to enjoy it like I did before (laughs) after suffering through all this? So we'll see. We'll see when we get closer. I want to think it's going to be good because it's so storied. And also Warrior can't hear his hands, which I think the more doubt he has, the better he's going to be. Because the the biggest offense right now is just this arrogant self-assurance that he's He's better than everybody, and he's different than everybody. So we don't know what he is. We only know we're not that, and we can't access it. So, like, what right. do, what is our investment in that? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, whew, all right. I think uh, that covers all the Warrior Hogan stuff that we want to bother talking about. Of course, we'll talk about it more on the next show. So, yeah, let's see what else we got. Okay, so as mentioned too earlier, uh, we got the bad news out of the way for me. We got a lot of stuff that I was not into. Now we're going to talk about some stuff that I'm very excited to get into, uh, with one little exception. But for the most part, this bonus material, I think, was very fun. I'm glad we had a chance to go through this. Uh, my friend, are you ready to jump into these uh, extra matches and promos we've got going on? Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to start us uh, chronologically. We're going to go to February 19, Madison Square Garden. Uh, some matches on YouTube that you can find that I posted the link to as well. And it's one that's uh, very special to me. It's Tito Santana checking, uh, taking on the one and only Playboy Buddy Rose, who is a guy uh, who does not get a lot of conversation, who is not really that well known, a very big star uh, in the Northwest 
in the uh, kind of early 80s territory area um, era and uh, also spent some time in the WWF. Here kind of later in his career, uh, he has blown up a lot physically in sort of an Adrian Adonis-like way, but just like that great wrestler, he will be so graceful, so capable, so excellent in his large size that uh, you will not mind for a moment if you are like me. So we have this match from Madison Square Garden. I'll just say right up front, I had a lot of fun with this. I'm excited to talk about the details, so let's get into it. This was one of the great blessings of this Legacy Series, is getting to see this Buddy Rose match. Um, <laughs> I got the word grace in my second sentence as well. He, he oh, does a drop toe hold early, and, get, but, and just rolls over the guy up to the head, and he does it like he is a cruiserweight. Mm. Um, I've heard it said that if he was born later, he would have done a lot more in the business, but he was kind of before his time, and I'm inclined to believe it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, this this guy... Uh, in a different time, in a different place, uh, in different circumstances, I think could have been even bigger than he was. And yet, I would say, even for what he did accomplish, if you're ever able to check back uh, the Portland territory that he worked a lot in, in that Northwest area, he, he is brilliant in that place. He's got those shades of Bobby Heenan. He has some shades of Ric Flair. This is a guy, actually, um, quite a hand in training Larry Sweeney, a guy that we spent an episode mm. talking about, and I think you could definitely make that connection if you see this guy work and talk. I've never really checked out the Northwest. That's also Big Josh's area, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I might have to check that out eventually because you just watch this guy, man, and, you know, I don't know how people can do it. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's very Adrian Adonis-like that, you know, he is kind of fading. He's not in the best shape of his life, but somehow, you know, it's not going to stop what he's going to do. And if you give him a chance to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. This match uh, is super fun. I, I definitely also noted the way he just like floated over Tito when he was kind of yeah. rolling over him doing that move. And yet just like the perfect heel. Cause as he does this beautiful move, he ends up back in like the same arm lock he was in before, which is just yeah. beautiful. And like it pops the crowd with a laugh and like, that's what you got to do. This guy, he's great. You know, um, it's a real shame. Cause in 1984, when Bobby Heenan first came in here, uh, buddy Rose was like the first member of his family practically. And mm. it, it was over in like a second. Cause I think he went back to, to Portland or something, but man, like if that could have continued on, I would have loved to see that because that's a great yeah. pairing right there. Ah, oh, so good. Bobby Heenan's in the booth, um, teaching yes. us that. Oh, that was a pleasure as well. Yeah, well, he says he cheats, but he just does it first, and it, it made me think like baby faces off. I, they do it first, actually, in reality, in this era. But you know, it's an interesting point that all of us are cheaters. Uh, so I just get to do it first, and then they do it second. But you know, are they better than I am? You know. Absolutely, yeah. And it goes back to, uh, we've talked about it less recently, but there was a time it was a big talking point for us. That, like, you just wait for the heel to do one bad thing, and mm -hmm. that will give you permission to kind of do everything in the world to that person forever. Um, and I think it's very, like, especially the 80s, but just like in culture, because I, I was thinking about these movies of the 80s, these action movies, Die Hard, Rambo, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, just wait for the guy to misbehave. And then you can go in there and, like, blow them apart with your gun or something. Yes. You know, it's the same exact energy as that. Except they no don't die, limit. so you can just keep doing it forever. <laughs> yes. And that's creepy. Like, there's got to at least be a time limit on it. <laughs> uh, 
Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, we have not called them as much because of the shows that we're doing, but uh, Bobby Heenan says, Santana doesn't have the one thing that Rude does, and uh, Gorilla says, you, and Bobby Heenan says, oh, you know this too. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Bobby Heenan, one of his go-tos is, like, to turn around what you said on him. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point, like, Hillbilly Jim is trying to... (laughs) Like, he, he's speaking out against Heenan, and Monsoon says something, and he's obviously, like, warning Heenan, but Heenan's just like, yeah, what he said, don't mess with us, Hillbilly. <laughs> so it's like, he'll just turn it around and hear what he wants to hear. He'll make his own narrative, and it's a beautiful thing. This is one where the, the equal parts match in Booth, because there's so much. Like, they, they are giving, uh, all three of them team up to give Buddy Rose a hard time. <laughs> They do. They do. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, you got to pop Vince McMahon. I'm sure he saw that body and was disgusted. So, uh, oh, my God. Um, and then uh, he's doing this twice, this slingshot on the ropes. And then like he's Buddy Rose is laying flat on his back with his knees up. And Tito falls over his knees. So Tito's back is on Rose's knees. And it's like a submission hold. And Gorilla Monsoon is not having it because all you can all you have to do is sit up. He keeps saying and he. Like he is not there for that uh, submission attempt. <laughs> yeah, you know, if someone else had done that same move, I think he might have given them a little more credibility. Because um, even he didn't ask to be like, well, his back is damaged. He can't just sit up so yeah. easily. But, um, yes, uh, Buddy Rose gets no leeway from uh, from Monsoon, from the commentary. Man, what? Uh, it's, interesting. it's an interesting match in commentary. <laughs> it really is, but so much fun, honestly. Like... I don't know if I'll talk about this when we do, like, the five-year retrospective, but it's not impossible that I would because it is just a super fun match that I think everybody should check out. I meant to ask, how do you know Buddy Rose? Was he on TV when you started watching or something? I don't know. I don't – you know, he possibly could because there was all these Mm -hmm. people who used to appear. Yeah. Like, there's probably a time where I didn't know Greg Valentine, Buddy Rose. Is there another Nature Boy, Nature Boy – Buddy Landell, yeah. You know – so I don't know if I saw him back then, but I'm sure I've seen him somewhere. Because the minute I saw his name written down, I was like, I can't wait to see this. So somehow I knew he was amazing, but I had no idea how. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's definitely one to check out. Worked in uh, AWA also and had a, a uh, famous, to those in the know, feud with the Rockers before they went to WWF, which I, I've seen some of, and it is sublime, in my opinion. A tag team feud with uh, Doug Summers and the Rockers, so... A lot of great Buddy Rose stuff out there if you know where to look. Nice. He does he, so much remind me of Adrian Adonis. Like, they are so mm. present and smart and aware of what they're doing. Yeah, it's not just the size and the, the surprising grace. It is really yeah. kind of the mindset as well. Um, I, I don't know if they ever interacted, but, man, I think they would have made a great tag team or something. So, What does it say that Rick Martell is now completely – like the model and Tito is still wearing strike force gear. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say that, but, uh, when Tito puts on those matador pants, it'll be worse. So yeah, true. I'd rather they both kept acting like strike force for as long as possible. Personally. I think he said they sent him to like really learn that because, and he thought like he's getting a major push on his way back. Ugh, poor guy. Yeah, no, there are a lot of vignettes about that. Where he's in Mexico and doing, like, bullfighting and all this weird stuff. <laughs> it's like, put a lot of effort into something that you didn't have any interest in pushing. Because, yeah, he will not. They'll treat him mostly just the same and maybe a little worse. So I don't know what to tell you about that whole thing. And yet he'll still be great. Like, there's a Tito Santana-Rick Flair match that I want to pick up 
in late 91, which I think is fantastic. So it's not like he ever stopped being good. They just uh, weren't that interested in using him. You know, we got to dig down to a show like this to really see a meaty Tito Santana match at this point. And it's great. Like, this is a great match. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's a great match. He was one of my favorites when I first started watching it. Like, he popped no matter what he was doing. Like, he had Michaels early, so there's going to be a lot of good stuff. Sure. Uh, I think WWF, a lot of times, they don't know one way or the other who they're going to choose. And sometimes even after they make their when they make their choices, it's done. But I still don't know if they always know. So everybody's got to be very open-minded that you're either about to be pushed bigger than ever or buried completely or nothing's going to change. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in this era, but I think in a lot of eras, you can really tell the rare occasion where they do sit down and plan something out. Hogan yeah. Andre, Hogan Savage, you know, these things. Like, they stand out a lot because a lot of times they just – don't or maybe can't plan these things out i mean you think about the machine of the wwf at this point and how it is just like barreling down the highway at all times like two house shows a day a lot of the times um you know traveling constantly just it, it's got to be hard to always know exactly where you're going i always thought especially in this time vince mcmahon has got to be driving this thing half on instinct so yeah sometimes things just go into weird little places where they don't fit anywhere quite. And I don't know. It's just the strangeness of uh, trying to run a wrestling company, I think. Yeah. So I'm glad we got some Tito and I'm glad we got some Buddy Rhodes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the end, Tito Santana does put away Buddy Rose with that flying forearm to a very big pop, I thought. So MSG also loving Tito Santana. There's a clue for you. But yeah, it's a very fun match. I hope that you will find the time to check it out because it's a real pleasure. Absolutely. Great stuff. I love it. All right, next bonus match, we're going to jump ahead one month. Also Madison Square Garden, March 19th. Very close to WrestleMania now. We have a tag team match. Demolition taking on a team I don't think we've seen yet, which is the Orient Express, which is Tanaka and Sato. So, uh... So, yeah, um, this one's on the network. You can find it on the uh, old school section. If you look around a bit, got some nice uh, house shows loaded into that area. That's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, so I guess this is still part of, like, Mr. Fuji's endless war against Demolition. He's got a whole new tag team to try out here. Demolition never did anything to him. Oh, he <laughs> forsook them as tag champions to not be manager of the tag champions. Uh, what a what a what a character. <laughs> He's really quite something. Um I'm not sure if this happened uh, already or not quite yet, but uh Mr. Fuji will again show his amazing managerial prowess by splitting up the powers of pain and selling them off individually, the warlord to Slick and uh, Barbarian to Bobby Heenan. So what? you can decide who in that whole scenario got the best of it. Yeah. So uh early Grill Monsoon calls uh, Fuji, a human piece of garbage. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes says, I'd rather refer to him as the devious one. Gorilla says, would you buy a used car from him? And Lord Alfred Hayes says, I wouldn't buy a used car at all. I'm a gentleman, a lord. <laughs> but he does allow that he would instruct his chauffeur not to buy a used car yes. uh, from Mr. Fuji. So <laughs> The announced team, so much of what was best about the 80s, feels gone in that community where everybody's living together, narrative-driven fight for the... The announce booth may have outlasted the wrestlers in in that beauty. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I will say, especially on these um, kind of regional house show type shows, because yeah. it's not you don't have to have the strict narrative that you do when you're doing like the national show. Uh, it kind of exists outside. I think I talked about this before, but man, some of my favorite content from this era are these like specialty house shows. And the MSG ones goes on till early 92, I think. So I hope we can keep pulling from mm. that area because, yeah, there's just some super fun, like you say, like comfortable community stuff, especially these commentators who can kind of relax and uh, call things in sort of a different way. And uh, I really appreciate that. I think it's very fun. Absolutely. I said the other week that, um, you know, I was used to that. Uh, he turned him inside out on the clothesline. That was the phrase. That was yep. the thing. I loved it. Absolutely. And Tony said something else that did not work. Well, Hillbilly Jim said one uh, in demolition. And I think if I heard it early, it might have worked. He said he uncorked him. <laughs> I'll say um, Hillbilly Jim is not a guy I've really cared for much uh, as a wrestler, but uh He's not like he's not down in that bottom tier with some. There's something kind of charming about him. Maybe he could apply to live in that house with Big Josh and some of these other weirdos. He he could be in that range, possibly. He knows who he is, you know, so at least (laughs) like I would take someone not all the time because this brings in, I think, Bruce Beefcake and Hacksaw on them. But for the most part, I would take someone who knows who they are, even though they're not my favorite versus someone (laughs) who's okay but isn't anybody. Oh, man. There's a lot like he... I'm glad you said that he knows who he is because it really reminds me like he'll do a lot of kind of random commentary stuff. And man, just like he comes from Mudlick. He has like this whole story and family Mm -hmm. and like he'll get into these weird details with anybody. Like there's something fleshed out about it in a way that like a barber with an erection can't possibly manage to, you know, there's no story there. You're just a pervert. You know, it's not, (laughs) it's a totally different thing. It's much more (laughs) fleshed out. So... It's such a simple thing, but man, if, if you're, all your characters come from somewhere and believe in something and sound, you know, it's like, it's almost the stuff you can get away with not doing, but if you'll do it, it will take you the extra mile nine times out of ten. Mm, yep. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know his role exactly. I get the impression Hillbilly Jim, like, will be working backstage a lot for a long time. I know eventually he went in the Hall of Fame. And when people kind of scoffed at that, other people were like, well, look, look how long he helped out backstage and all this stuff. So, like, mm. I think it's hard in wrestling to find a guy who is, like, just nice and helpful. And I really get that vibe from Hillbilly Jim. Yeah. So you don't always want to judge, like, by, by, by feelings about personal life. I get that. But, man, it's just nice to feel like there's actually kind of a good person contributing here. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And he comes across that way. So He really does, you know, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, who is defending Fuji, <laughs> says that Fuji's game plan is to send his wrestlers out to get destroyed for the first five or six minutes of the match and then you know, mount a plan off of it. And I believe um, him. Oh, man. Some people, I think, don't like Alfred Hayes' commentary, and that's fair enough. But, man, I, there's something I enjoy about it because he's a little bit naughty about it yeah. always. And, like, I think that's the perfect word for it. He, he's not, like, a clear-cut baby face. He'll kind of say what he sees, but what he sees is, like, just a little bit off. And you, you never feel like he means any harm by it, but he'll be, like, a little mischievous or something. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's something about Alfred Hayes that I enjoy his vibe as well uh, quite a bit. I have never tuned in to hear Lord Alfred Hayes, and every time we've had him, he has said stuff that has stood out to me. And it's another one who knows exactly who his character is supposed to be. And he is. He's a little bit of a heel, but it's like a sneaky version of a heel. But he also, like, he's going to argue it's 
like his points out, you know, so. More than anyone, he feels like a retired heel. Like he used to be a heel <laughs> and now he's kind of just like a friendly guy, but he's still kind of a little bit heel. You know, he's, he's your mischievous uncle, maybe something like that. So. Yeah. I've enjoyed him. And again, it's all the characters. Cause you got, you got a hillbilly Jim and a Lord Alfred Hayes both on the show. <laughs> it's fun. You know, it, it does capture kind of that eighties fun that we yeah. really, um, you know, there was a time where we were like, man, I would stay in this era forever, and we're definitely out of that period now, but you can still see some aspects of it, and uh, a match like this, and the match, this match is not like, it's not anything to write home about, I think, but still, like, I got a bit of a warm feeling out of this whole experience here. Yeah, it introduces us to the Orient Express, um, it, I guess Fuji's moving on, as you said, so it kind of updates Fuji for uh, the Legacy series, so it does a few things, too. It does, and it just lets us watch Demolition, who I thought, yes. um, you know, looked particularly good here. Uh, they do some nice demolishing in the early going. It's a bit of a longer match. So they kind of have to play, uh, you know, face in peril for a while. And Axe gets a hot tag, and he's really just, like, trashing things up. And it's just kind of fun to watch. You know, this isn't a match. I wouldn't say I loved it or anything, but it's, like, just a solid, fun match. You know, it's perfectly yes. good stuff. I agree with that assessment as well, you know. Nothing super special, but if you like Demolition and you want to see Orient Express, you want to see what they're about, and you want to see where Fuji's at, and you want to hear good commentary, well, you got yourself an opportunity. Yeah, Orient Express, they'll quietly build some narrative as we go. Mm -hmm. I know they have a match with the Rockers that's very loved. They have a few others that stand out, so uh, they bring something a little different. They're no jumping bomb angels, certainly, if we're talking about (laughs) import teams, but um, yeah, they'll have something to show out, I think. Yeah, I'm interested, because... Are they they stay the same two people the whole time, or is, is someone else brought in? Or uh, that, I uh, Sato is uh, replaced by Kato, who is actually um, a white guy under a mask. So, okay. you know that that'll be a slightly different vibe. And yet, I, I will challenge you to really tell the difference because um, yeah. I think they're about the same anyway. I don't think I remember this version. I think I remember the other just because of when I was watching. Mm, yeah, so I think me that version goes on longer too. So we'll, we'll have to watch and see. I've never looked them up, you know. Everything that Fuji does, uh, you know, <laughs> enter at your own peril. <laughs> hey, here as well. Well, you can say maybe you actually helped them this time because uh, Demolition is all set to win. Fuji interferes with the cane. Axe goes after him. He gets the cane. It looks like he's going to wrap it around Fuji's head. Man, it looks scary for a second. Mm. But uh, some salt gets involved. Demolition is actually counted out, and Orient Express wins. So I guess you can say... You know, you can't say he never did anything for his clients. Yeah, it's early. They needed the win. I was still surprised they got it, but Me too. they Me are too. on the move into the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> they are. Yep, they will do more as we watch along, so we'll see what comes of them in time. Um, all right, so we come up to, uh, i got to say, on paper, one of the most interesting matches to me that we're going to cover next, and uh, it is from the March 25th episode of Primetime which was a special episode right before WrestleMania where they can kind of uh, showcase some wrestlers and some storylines. It is the Colossal Connection taking on the Rockers. And, man, I don't know about you, I don't think of the Colossal Connection really wrestling anyone but Demolition just because of their short run. But I'm really glad they got a match with, like, a totally different team. Plus, you get the novelty of Shawn Michaels and uh, Andre the Giant kind of coexisting in that same space in a very pointed way. Yeah, it's a curious matchup, a uh, very short one, but like I'm glad it exists. Andre is absolutely, 
you know, at the end of his day. So I think anything we can get from Andre, you know, is a plus right now. And, and if it includes someone who's going to be with us, you know, for the majority of this era, all the better. So uh, Andre's closing out, Michael's is beginning, and they overlap a little bit. Yeah, and that's that in itself is crazy to me. Uh, Shawn Michaels, the longevity of this guy, you know, you mm. really have to respect it. Like the variety of people he worked with in his career is super impressive. And, uh, of course, a very talented guy as well, as we will talk very much about in years to come. Yeah, um, so he wrestled Andre the Giant, and he stayed for the, a big bunch of Big Show's career, and in yeah. between when there were neither of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So think about that for a second. It's very um, – not a whole lot of people, I would think, can say that they had kind of that stretch that Shawn Michaels did. So Yeah. Uh, but I got to say, like, to me, Andre and Haku – like they're the stars of this match uh, again, and I give credit to the Rockers as well because they cut they they kind of set a high speed. But man, damn if Andre and Haku didn't kind of match them, and you know they're not running the same way. But this made me want to see more than ever more of Haku and Andre the Giant because I just imagine them suddenly. I don't even know why, but like in ECW or something because like they were just a force of destruction here. I felt like I could see them like fighting into the crowd or like chairs would bounce off these guys and they wouldn't even care about it. And I don't know, God, like just my imagination for them was fired by this match. And suddenly I could see them in any time and any place just doing amazing things. Yeah, I think it should be because they both can do the same kind of damage, but they're so different in their appearance and their style. Yeah. And I don't know if you always get that much variety and similarity at the same time in a tag team. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, <laughs> they're both, like, weirdly indestructible, but Andre is like a glacier, and Haku is like, I don't know, a tomahawk missile or something. Like, I don't even know if that's the right way to talk about them, but, yeah, the the similarities and the differences between these two guys make up for just what I think is a great team. I'm sure some people are down on this, because, yeah, Andre, like, he, he's limited, but, God... What beautiful limitations to work around. I love Colossal Connection matches because every time Andre touches a guy, it's like they died. And that that's the perfect way to work Andre the Giant, especially at this point in his career. So I love it. I think there's some great stuff in here. Yeah, they, they work well together. That They keep using Andre's head. Uh, I like how the Rockers, the Rockers always seem to have a sequence, whereas like the double clothesline or something, but they always, like one of the rockers is taken out, the other one gets under, and so this one, um, then I think they go for a uh, cross body, but they're caught, and then the other one who was knocked down originally gets up and drop kicks the back, so like, mm -hmm. it's a, it, they complicate some of the sequences that you sometimes see. <laughs> yes, they will not just sit around and uh, do what's expected. I noticed that as well, I thought that was very well done. Um Oh, man, so much good stuff in here. Because like, right at the start, um, Andre and Haku just, like, attack, and you're like, oh, man, the Rockets are just going to die like Demolition did. They'll never have a chance. But they actually rally up. They hit some drop kicks. Andre gets tied up in the ropes. It's like, oh, the Rockets are doing well, but they forgot Haku can kill a tag team all by <laughs> himself. So he starts to destroy them just, like, all on his own. So, oh, man, I got so excited by this. I think the crowd did, too, because, like, they are super loud for this. They're all over Heenan. They're all over this match. Like, it's just very exciting stuff. Yeah, and you know when someone stands on the apron, the uh, the post is there. So they could stand on one side or the other side of the post. Yeah. And so yeah. Andre is on the right side of the apron, on the right side of the post. And he just reaches in the ring and grabs 
uh, from the outside one of the rockers and throws him over the top rope, you know, opposite of where he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, just the stuff that Andre can still do is worth so much to me. So I'll never be down on this uh, era of Andre. Like, talk about your less is more. Talk about working smart. You know, it's some very good stuff. Um, and it's not like he can't do anything. Like, he's 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 going around. He sits on um, Janetti, I think, like a bunch of times. And uh, I'm sorry, Earthquake, but you're just not the same. You're not in that no. league. You know, because when Andre sits on you, I'm like, man, you're going to have two, um, you know, cheek shaped uh, impacts <laughs> on your body that are just going to destroy you. So, my God. Yeah. So this is a short little match. But, yeah. You listen to all that we dug out of it. And so the ones that get it, like Andre, you know, he can't do anything, but he still he gets pro wrestling and he does what it like. The, less is more thing, but, you know, a gigantic version of that. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, you're right. This match is probably like four minutes or something, but they they just do a lot in that time. I've said always that your match doesn't have to be long to be good. It's a really good short match. It's one that I, I you know, there's a link to it that I posted. I hope you'll check it out. It will take up very little of your time, and I think uh, you will have a very good time with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, it ends uh, perhaps prematurely. Demolition runs out for the disqualification because they are sore about losing the titles. We may like Demolition, but they're still baby faces, so they still have to act <laughs> the part. So here we are. Yes. They certainly do. Like you know, why even give them four minutes? Like if you're just gonna come into ring anytime you want to, like why even why even let them go? Yeah, attack them in the aisle. Why not? Unless you wanted them to be uh, softened up for you, you know, mm. which is not really heroic. So yeah. Do better okay. demolition. Yep. Well, we will have that demolition classical connection rematch at WrestleMania, and uh, ah, the post match of that will make me sad, yet also uh, be very satisfying. So we will we will see what we get there. Yes, we're gonna have a WrestleMania moment, my friend. <laughs> I am struck really strongly just as we talked about this. I knew it would happen, but I'm struck anyway. How much? better i like all this stuff than that crap we saw in the main event like what happened there man <laughs> like i you you won me over a little bit on some of the savage stuff but man i gotta say as far as like the main shows we've watched that's got to be one of the ones i've enjoyed the least in wwf the legacy series and yet the company is still doing a lot of great stuff so what the hell is happening up at the top you know yeah, I think that's also when you're like the day before WrestleMania almost, and you haven't established your main event. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I still don't think they did. But hey, yeah, well, it just hit me though. Like if you really like if you watch WrestleMania six, and you don't yet know what the future holds, you know, Hogan and Andre are both potentially you know having some game changing moments for what what the future means for them. Right, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Um, what did Hogan say? He said WrestleMania will predict the future, I think. And it's not mm. going to be in the way he implied, but I think there's maybe some truth to that. And, wow, that's, that's big. Yeah. Uh, all right, we got one match left to talk about and then some promos that we want to go over. Um, and this match, i got to say, I loved that tag match we talked about. I loved Tito Buddy. This might be my favorite one. I was really hoping it would deliver, and I think it did just in terms of being exciting, being energy, being motion. Um, it is Randy Savage taking on Dusty Rhodes one-on-one, also from this episode of uh, Primetime on March 25th. Sadly, not on the network, but again, I posted that link, so I hope that you will watch it. Um, 
Yeah, like, I I got to ask, like, before we get into this, uh, I'm going to go back to uh, the devil, and I'm going to try to make a better deal than I did last time, because that one didn't impress you. So I, I'll say, okay, um, here I have a contract. You can sign in your blood, and it means, uh, you know, when you go ahead and run your wrestling promotion, you can get one guy at his absolute prime, and you can never use the other. And the two are Randy Savage and Dusty Rhodes. So That's not fair. <laughs> Uh, you're going to win this time, my friend. Um, I think the only questions, this is a cop out and I'm sorry, but I think the only questions you can ask is what kind of wrestling promotion are you trying to run? Like who else is going to be on the roster? Because one of them is not going to be better than the other. That's for damn sure. Uh, yeah, I'm going to lose this one. I have no answer for this. It's very yeah. difficult. Um, and if I, I need, I yeah, yeah. I need variety, I think Savage, because I, you know, if I want someone who's gonna be a great babyface and heel. If I want someone who might run the whole thing and be the babyface, it probably be Dusty. Mm. That's a fair answer. I, the the nice thing is I don't think he can go wrong because I think if you put either one of these guys on top of your promotion uh, at almost any time and place, and you really put your faith into them. I think you're going to get tremendous results. So you can't really lose is the nice thing, but you will lose if you can't use the other guy because uh, they're both so great. And... They both have their issues, but I think if I got to put up with headaches every day, I think I, I think I would go with Dusty Rhodes. It's weird. I think I would ultimately go that way as well. Um, although if I had to pick in 1990, I'd probably invest more in Randy Savage, yeah, but that, that's not how I uh, phrase the question. So God, they're really the, neck and neck, though, for real. Dusty's going to do what all top stars are going to try to weasel his way into everything. Uh, you got to expect that if you're into business. But, yeah, I think some of the paranoia and all that with Savage, and uh, I think I'd rather watch that from afar. <laughs> Someday. I think if I ever get the opportunity to really watch, like, the Dusty booked stuff week to week, maybe I will finally get access to the idea, like, the stuff that – because Dusty Rhodes was not liked at one time, like, yeah. very much. They're like, oh, he just booked himself too strongly, and, like, he overused this or that, and he got old after a while. And I don't doubt that that is true in, like, the week-to-week felt experience. But, God, I have never had any access to that, like, in my own mind, because, uh, like, I just love seeing Dusty Rhodes. I think he kills it every time. Here's a question. Who has stayed around and not gotten old? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Yeah, eventually everybody gets old. Um, so that's that's a good point. It's a funny thing because I'm as clear. I, I think, and this this could change tomorrow. But if I had to compare them, I think I might like Savage slightly better. But I need to watch more Dusty stuff. But I think I would absolutely pick Dusty Rhodes. So I'm I'm going with I'm going with Dusty Rhodes. Okay. All right. The devil. I'll let him know. Um, <laughs> So I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I would almost say exactly the same thing. And there's just something, they're both transcendent, but I think Dusty is transcendent in a different way, in a way. And maybe it's because we watch Randy Savage be champion and not really succeed yeah. the way we wanted him to. But I don't know. I just feel like Dusty, there's maybe a higher plane for him, just slightly higher that he achieved. Um, because he will be, like, the most popular man in wrestling at one time. We're already past that, of course, but I think he really had a claim to that at one point. And I just don't know if Savage ever got there being under the shadow of Hogan. Yeah, I think it goes back to if you need the horizontal, 
uh, go with Savage. The vertical is going to be Dusty because, like, I would build my company. Like, if I if I got if I pick Dusty, that means I'm trying to go with Dusty. I'm trying to build a Dusty promotion. If I'm going with Savage, I, he's a utility. Like, he could be a top star, but I'm going for a utility guy. I'll probably want him to be everything before we're done. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. I don't think I don't know if Dusty could have been everything, and yet like he'll do all these mid card feuds in WWF, and I'd say just based on this match, he's gonna kill it, you know? Yeah. Holy crap! So, um, okay, so getting to the match, uh, we have Vince Ventura on the call once again, and um, I, I had a little flash to that that comment you made where uh, they were just doing matches around the elbow because this starts with Dusty. Elbowing Savage while he's still standing on the apron, like he can't even get into the ring. <laughs> um, but he recovers quickly, and man, like there's a chaotic fight. Sherry's in there, Sapphire's in there, and uh, I gotta say, I think you made the point that uh, you like Sapphire, and I, you know, I didn't dislike her. I'm honestly liking her more and more, and I don't know, she's adding something here. Like she's into it. She helped make this even more chaotic, more interesting. I was very taken uh, immediately by the energy of this match. Yeah, I had nothing to go off of. I've gone, like, sight by sight, and she has done nothing to disappoint me. Like, Warrior, I've taken Sapphire and Warrior, and Sapphire has not let me down, and Warrior has not impressed me yet. So. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we'll see when she has to wrestle a full match at WrestleMania. Yeah. Perhaps uh, opinions will change. But I don't know. Like, clearly she kind of knows what she can do, at least as far as this goes. And so far I'm enjoying the hell out of it, to be honest. And they're really smart. Like they use her sparingly, and yeah. it's been effective. Like she says a little bit, or she does a little bit. You're not trying to turn her into like, oh, give us 20 minutes, Sapphire. <laughs> yeah, God forbid. Like uh, working smart is very important. Um, a lot of this match was uh, Dusty's got his elbows, of course, but I don't think we've talked nearly enough about Savage's jabs and how he like. Yeah. That's his response to that. Where he's going at the face, at the body, or anything. He has his own great strike that he throws back here. Yeah, and he's also, he catches, that Dusty standing, like, not looking, and Randy Savage runs up on him. And I've seen that so much, so I thought it was a knee, into, like a flying knee into the lower back to send you out of ring. Mm. But he did a double axe handle to the shoulders. So, like, if your back is turned to him, he might be coming at your neck and shoulders, or he might be coming at your lower back, and you have no idea what it's going to be. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. He's so good. The jabs, the jabs are awesome. They are super awesome. I love it. Uh, this is where Sherry gets really, um, you know, they call her scary because she's supposed to be ugly, which she's not. She's scary because like she'll she'll mess you up. Yes. She whacks Dusty in the spine and he acts like he got paralyzed. And this is where yeah, she like roundhouse kicks him in the head. And man, if Sherry did that, I think like plan my funeral because I'd be dead. I think to be <laughs> honest. It's a surprising moment because it comes out of nowhere. You've seen a lot of these floor incidents, and this was a different one. <laughs> Sherry, she's something special, yeah? She, you know, oh, she'll rake him with her fingernails. Nope, she's doing a roundhouse kick to the head. She's like yeah. an amazing wrestler also. So, God, I love Sherry. so incredibly talented. According to Pritchard, too, this, uh, somewhere in this era when they're having these savage Dusty House Show matches, yeah. they're on the B card. You know, Hogan's on the A card, mm-hmm. and every night before the show, Dusty puts his head through the curtain, and he's like, oh, man, there's more people here for this than when Hogan was here. And then Savage and Pritchard look out, and there's, like, hardly nobody there. And <laughs> they're like, I don't know what he was oh, watching. but <laughs> Man, 
that's um people should have come to see these matches for sure. I don't know who Hogan was wrestling, but there's no way it was as fun as yeah. this. So Well, I think all of it was starting to, you know, slide yeah. decline a little bit. Yeah, probably true. Probably But true. that's just there's something about that, like I don't understand it and it might be annoying for other people, but as far as being a wrestler who's got to have longevity, you gotta be the guy that can look through the curtain and, and make yourself think that. Yeah. Dusty definitely had a bit of that Hogan thing where he could yeah. um, sort of make reality be what he wanted by saying it. Uh, yeah. And he never quite had um, the charmed life that Hogan did, but he, he had some aspect of it. And, I, you know, there's something respectable about that. So Yeah, it is. I really want to go. Well, we're going to do that. Uh, maybe I didn't know. I think they stayed till the Royal Rumble with Dustin, but somewhere we're going to have a Hogan, a Hogan, a Dusty special. So maybe we'll check out some of this stuff that has eluded us a little bit yeah no i would love to see some of it we'll, we'll check it out when we get there um man this savage sherry relationship we've talked about it a lot i love this uh you know here here's what kind of like quantifies at least a piece of it for me um dusty is kind of like threatening sherry at one point because fair enough she's been beating the shit out of him um so he's like advancing on her and savage hits dusty from behind and he almost, like, lands on Sherry and crushes her. And Savage doesn't care. And I don't think Sherry cares, honestly, that she almost got crushed. Like, their relationship is so wild and so violent. It's like, sure, like, knock a 300-pound guy onto me, and I'll just, like, scramble out of the way, and then we'll go back to, like, destroying the world together. You know, it's great. It's yeah. Disney. It's, like, Power Rangers. It's like, you know, let's just revel in this, like, crazy evilness we have together. Yeah, that's a beautiful spot, too. Like, it is so dangerous looking, but it's so clean, uh, the way it comes out as well. Uh, they are, they, they are just full motion and they're in it together. It's a very Bonnie and Clyde type, you know, it's a very, uh, like, you think they just robbed a bank type thing that they're on the move. Like, where are they going? Where are they coming from? Are they here to be in the ring? Or are they just passing through the building? Yeah. Don't ask too many questions. <laughs> I think uh, robbing a bank, uh, I agree with you, but robbing the bank would be too pedestrian. I yes. like more like they called a lightning strike down on it and yes. it was obliterated. So absolutely. <laughs> I don't think they walked away with a dollar in their pocket. Just, just some nah. laughs from blowing up the bank. Um, yeah. So at one point, Savage grabs the ring bell in this match. I got to say, I popped because I'm thinking back to Ricky Steamboat. Um, and obviously it's not a spot like that, but it did get me thinking as much fun as this is, Imagine if they did something like that Ricky Steamboat feud with Dusty and Savage. How much further elevated could this feud be? Because I think they do a great job, but I think they also left something on the table. And I guess they often did that with Dusty in our estimation. But it really just got me thinking about that for a moment. Yeah, they did everything they did in this feud under the cloud of this is unimportant. Yeah, unfortunately. So it can be super fun, and yeah, it's not going to matter in the long run. Neither guy is going to get a title shot off of this. Thank God, I'll just say, because they <laughs> wouldn't have been treated right if they did, and we know that. But uh, yeah, so there, there's some aspect to that for sure. Oh, I've never thought about that. I'm Good for them, but I'm surprised they didn't blow their uh, Warrior Savage match in trying to build Warrior's reign and, and lose that for WrestleMania 7. Well, as much as I was complaining about them treating Savage like crap in the Hogan match, I got to say, clearly they never thought he was worthless. You know, like they, they keep him in kind of an upper tier. Yeah. Um, so they recognize it as far as that, at least. They don't treat him as well as maybe I think they should have, but there's definitely some ad. Like they knew that, like, there's Hogan, we're going to try to make Warrior. 
after that, we know it's like it's Savage, it's Piper, you know, it's these types. So they're not going to treat him too badly. Just treat him badly when they're up against Hogan. Yeah. It just feels like I never thought about that. But why not spend that on SummerSlam and try to, you know, keep keep popping a number at least? Yeah. I, I wonder um, if they had a plan for WrestleMania 7 because I can't imagine it was Hogan Slaughter. Like at this yeah. point, they can't have been thinking of that. Um, so I don't know. Were they thinking of saving Warrior Savage for WrestleMania for the title? Maybe. I don't know. Mm. It's possible. So That's interesting. Who knows? Yeah, because Hogan was going to be in a grudge match with, Ty- uh, with Typhoon, I think. <laughs> I believe that. That's another Goodwill burning moment that I want to highlight because he will act so ridiculously <laughs> towards Tugboat. He will say oh, many I- times that they are going to be married for the 90s. He will poke his head through the curtain during tugboat matches like a worried mother. He will act more ridiculously towards that man than towards maybe anybody in history. So that that's a whole other thing we're going to have to talk about for a minute. That's exciting. I think I've seen zero percent of that in my life. So we'll, I just don't know how tugboat ends up in all of this, but I don't know if anyone ever does. Oh, well, you know, Hillbilly Jim came along. I feel like it's kind of that same relationship. Yeah. Where Hogan just takes pity on some schlub and like, you're going to be a wrestler and my best friend, you know? So I don't know why. Better than Beefcake, I'll say that. So I think Tugboat Taylor had a You Are the Father uh, program in GWS. So he's, had, he's been involved in some interesting stuff in his time. I don't even know what you're referring to by that. So we'll, we'll explore that one day. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, so yeah, this match, uh, it's really just wild. It kind of breaks down and Sherry's up on the apron again. She's in this a lot. Sapphire finally kind of pulls her down. Sherry punches her in the face and mm. just levels her. But Sapphire, I guess she's tough because she, she scrambles back up. She pushes Sherry over. Um, this gets nuts because Savage like grabs Sherry and Dusty hits Savage and Sherry hits Dusty and Sherry is trying to hold on to Dusty, but then Savage hits her by mistake. And it's just this crazy sequence. It's out of control, and it's very exciting. Like, the crowd is nuts. I'm nuts. I had a great time with this match. It is, and I will just say two things. I think I lose what you were saying, but, like, in the world that we exist in at this time, like, I'm excited. for It might not be a good match, but they have me excited for the matchup and the feud. Yeah. But if you, st- if you step out of that in any other world, when you have Randy Savage, like, you, you made me choose between Randy Savage and Dusty Rose. They have both of them. And they are having a random one-on-one match to build a mixed tag matchup. Mm. Um, it just tells you that like this is not ever going to be the Dusty Roads. And like to your point, Savage is not the Savage is not necessarily the Savage, and Dusty is definitely not the Dusty. So you take what you can and you enjoy it the best you can. Yeah, I think there's there's a tremendous amount to enjoy here, so I can't even complain too harshly. And uh, I feel like the WrestleMania match does not have a good reputation, and yet. I've never seen that match, but I did see a rematch that they filmed for Coliseum Video um, because they got some of those on the network, uh, which are really fun to watch through. And that match kind of rocked. Like, I just, it was very exciting. It was not like a work rate, you know, great match, um, but it shouldn't have been anyway. So I think it'll be very fun in a way you and I will appreciate, even if maybe some others don't. Yeah, I hope it'll be fun. The whole thing's been fun so far, so I know yeah. I know what reasonable expectation is, and I just hope they hit it. <laughs> yeah, this is a big redemption from uh, Dusty's first like tie dye appearance on Brother mm. Love, which uh, kind of made me afraid for this run. But we've quickly redeemed from that. We're never gonna be a full Dusty, but we'll we'll get a lot of fun stuff. 
Yeah, I we are a long way from that, and I've been yeah. pleased with the majority of what we've seen. Absolutely. Uh, for, for what yeah. it is, yeah. I'll say, yeah, polka dots over tie-dye, definitely. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> um, in the end, yeah, this breaks down just too much. Sherry storms into the ring, jumps on Dusty. The referee finally calls the DQ. Um, and this was fun, too. Sherry and Sapphire, they kind of fight in the ring for a bit. Uh, Sapphire throws Sherry. She rolls out of the ring. Dusty grabs her, like, throws her back in. And um, then she gets tossed around yet again. And the crowd is just nuts for it. And... I don't know exactly what the difference is, because I think if Hogan did this, I would hate it. But mm. when Dusty does it, I don't know if it's because he's more charming or I just like him more. Something about the way he does it. Something about the way Sherry just acted out so much that you can't really blame him. I don't know. It's a lot of factors, maybe, but I really enjoyed it. So. Yeah, it, and it's like we've already said Disney, but this, this is more like a old school cartoon by the time that they're done. And they're just, <laughs> you know... They could be dropping like you know anvils or anything could be happening by the time they were done in this uh, melee or melee. Man, I may have to think a little bit about Dusty Rhodes as Bugs Bunny in this yeah. uh, run because there's maybe a little aspect of that here. Yeah, he just he's just he's poking people, he's having fun, he's <laughs> you know stirring things up and then like getting out of the way. Very sure. mischievous. I can see some of that. <laughs> and like Bugs Bunny, uh, he's really unflappable uh, for the most part, um, yeah. which is nice. And he does it in a way which is very different than like Jim Duggan. Like he's not oblivious to the people coming after him. He's just, uh, you know, kind of like able to get out of the way and have fun with it. So, yeah, we'll think about that as we go forward. All right. So uh, that covers all our matches. A few promos I want to go over. Um, probably go through a few of these very quickly. And then there's one segment that I really want to talk a lot more about. Um, so I did pick out, uh, as requested, some Savage Dusty promos to kind of see if there's anything deeper in this feud. And I'll just say spoiler, there's not. Um, we've yeah. seen it all. <laughs> uh, so if that's disappointing, I understand. And uh, it was a little bit for me. But um, I posted links to these as well. We get some nice event center promos. And I, I popped for Sean Mooney in the event center because that's uh, – Weirdly nostalgic to me, even though I didn't see it as a kid. You know, when I did see it, it made a big mm. impression on me. So that's uh, that's something at least. Yeah, it, it, it's classic. I don't, some things just are classic, and it is. Yep, for sure. Uh, so we got four of these promos. Three of them are from Macho Man. And it's funny, like, it tells you this feud must have had some kind of success. There's no way that they were really, like, doing shows to empty arenas or, like, low attendance no. arenas. Because they will run this feud month over month over month on the house show circuit. And uh, each time, like, we'll see these Macho promos and they'll just get, like, more and more escalated, even though they're very similar. He, he's always talking about, like, um, you know, expect the unexpected uh, he does a bang bang at one point yeah. for, uh, for Mick Foley, I guess, in the future. Um, Sherry speaks, Sherry screams. Uh, she wants to fight Sherry. Um, so, yeah, these were fun, even if they weren't. They didn't give me a lot more insight into this feud or anything. Yeah, I'm the same. I don't have a lot of notes, but, the, you know, it's fun, savage, and Sherry stuff. At one point, I said I think Sherry either loves Savage better or more than Liz. I don't know which one, but... <laughs> She uh, she certainly has a more violent passion than Liz, uh, who yeah. is very passive, as we've talked about. So um, that can be healthy. That can be unhealthy. I'll let y'all judge for yourself what that is. So they also say read between the lines, and I do not want to try because I don't think you can read between the lines like they're reading between the lines. So that's a scary comment. <laughs> it really is. Um, 
Last thought on these promos, I just have a note that says Sherry channels more power than the Ultimate Warrior. I strongly believe that. So. Mm, yeah, a hundred times. <laughs> uh, we also have one Dusty Rhodes promo, and uh, he also doesn't say anything too specific, but God, the cadence of his mm. promos alone. And that goes for Savage as well. Uh, he ultimately says that uh, Savage and Sherry are yellow dogs. And he yes. also he mentions embarrassment which popped me a little bit because that's one of my favorite things to talk about uh, in, in a wrestling feud. So good stuff there. Yeah, it's so good. And he said in Texas, the yellow dog thing, which probably almost got him fired because <laughs> it's so regional and Southern at the same time. I can't imagine it went over well. It's kind of amazing. They didn't put him in like a cowboy hat and make him like, you know, yeah. a Texas guy like yeah. Sam Houston or something. But, um, you know, that wouldn't have been silly enough, I guess. So. I am surprised, though. Or maybe both. Cowboy <laughs> boots and polka dots. Polka dot cowboy hat. <laughs> Wouldn't be, they'll, they'll, Randy Savage will wear some weird cowboy hats. Shawn Michaels will wear some weird cowboy hats in the yep. end. So, you know, if you're from Texas, then get ready, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, yeah, those are some Savage Justin promos. It just shows this, this feud doesn't have a lot behind it, yet it is super fun. And you know what? Sometimes that's all you need, so I'll give them credit for what they accomplished here. Yeah, I'm still um, excited for the match. I'm not making any predictions on it, but I'm just excited for it. Um, very much so. A match I'm kind of excited for, but maybe less so now. And this is the one thing, like, I don't even know exactly how to talk about this. Um, I really wanted to check out at least one of these Roddy Piper, Bad News Brown promos because they're infamous. They're, like, significant in this period. Uh, they've been mentioned by some of our listeners. Brooklyn, in particular, has talked about um, Roddy Piper's The Heel in his household for yes. uh, promos like this. And after watching this, I'd never seen any of these. I don't blame him. I was definitely left thinking, what the fuck, at the end of this. Um, we're back in the event center. First, we see Bad News Brown, who cuts a really good promo, I think, scoffing at the idea that Roddy Piper could be a street fighter, saying he is chicken-necked <laughs> under many other uh, uh, insults. And he um, should just know that uh, he gives no mercy. So... I'll just segment this slightly. I'll say this is yet another really good showing by Bad News Brown, and I really love the guy, so I just want to say that first before you say anything else. Yeah, I think Bad News Brown sets it. Like, if you didn't have the stupid thing we're about to talk about, <laughs> this would just be another great feud, yeah. and it would be defined exactly how Bad News Brown, because Roddy Piper is probably a decently tough guy, but he doesn't necessarily look like one, but he just had to live like one. So Bad News Brown is breaking him down in a very good way, which is like, look how skinny you are, look how scrawny you are, like I'm calling BS. And that's, I think that is maybe where Bad News Brown and Austin overlap more than all the obvious things, is they call BS on a lot of things, even things you wouldn't think to call BS on, they're calling BS on. Man, I this is similar to some other stuff we talked about, but we haven't talked about this specifically. I'm trying to imagine Steve Austin and Roddy Piper, and these are two guys, I don't know if they ever interacted, very little I would think, if at all, but man, like, in a certain time and place, whoo boy, that could have been something, so I'll just leave that hanging in the air for a second. Yeah, and it all depends, I guess it's a good segue, it all depends on what Roddy Piper you're going to get. True, because if you get this kind of Roddy Piper, then you, you might want to just tell him, hey, stay at home, don't come out, uh, 
Okay, so if anyone doesn't know, this is the time where uh, Righty Piper painted half of his face black. He's basically doing blackface, which you should never do, obviously. I think everyone knows that. Um, it's just a bad idea. And guess what? 1998, nearly far enough back for you to not know that, uh, Roddy Piper. But um, he's doing an impression of Bad News Brown, and it's a, it's a cringy impression. Um, then he turns to the camera, and he says at WrestleMania... He will hold up his hand for Black Power and Nelson Mandela, which I think is just Roddy Piper stringing words together, as he sometimes <laughs> does. And then he says the least offensive, but maybe the weirdest thing, which he says, RP doesn't die, he just multiplies, which means nothing. So, I don't know, Roddy Piper has put together some incredible stuff at times. This was terrible. It was offensive. It made no sense. By any standard, I think this was poor. So I, I don't know what you can even say about this. Yeah. Um, Roddy Piper is a lot better than Vince Russo, um, obviously. Clearly. But Roddy Piper can be like Vince Russo in that you need to have a Roddy Piper idea and someone who's willing to then sanction whether it should go forward or not. <laughs> And unfortunately, this was sanctioned. Vincent Mann thought it was hilarious, and they and they went with it. So uh, it's a bad idea. Uh, it's wrong. Uh, the weirdest thing is you don't need it. And I think this is always yeah. going to be the Roddy Piper problem is, like, he's so over the top that he either stands out in a good way or he stands out in the worst way possible. And I don't think he can do either but one thing or the other. Yeah, no, I think, um, and that's true through his whole career. Like, this is just a guy who uh, burns so brightly, and it's either going to be a brilliant light or it's going to be, like, painful to your eyes. So uh, this is the latter, unfortunately. So yeah, The same thing you said Brooklyn said. Like, I've seen so many comments in comment sections saying I'm a black man and I watched this as a child and he was the heel in my household. And I'm like, yeah, I think he ought to be. He ought to be the heel in any household because – all Bad News Brown wants to do is come out and have a fight. He's the one that's, like, making a racial thing and yeah. doing all this thing. So, like, to me, much like this era, except more offensive, Roddy Piper's the bad guy and Bad News Brown is not. Indeed, indeed. And that's not even a question of, like, you know, sometimes you can apply modern morals to old stuff and it doesn't really work. And maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. That's a different conversation. But, again, this is 1990. Like, this was not okay at the time either. So it's, like... Okay, all right. That's that's enough about that. I hope the match is still good. I'm sure uh, there will be a Paul hanging over it. But it does suck, because, like, this is a match that I really could have been very excited about, and I'm still hoping it's good, but it's just it's not the same. You know, like you said, they didn't need this at all. There was just no reason to do this, so it's just it's not good. I think when, at the end of the day, when we're done with this Legacy series, Roddy Piper's probably going to be batting about, you know, 50-50 in his performances. <laughs> Oh, God, maybe a little higher, but I wouldn't be shocked. You could be right, because, like, his misses are just such misses. Um, we got Piper and the Kings. Yeah. 19, I think 1994, we got Piper and Jerry Lawler main eventing a King of the Ring. You know, I think I've seen that, and I didn't hate it, but it's not, okay. like, why was it main eventing? So, you know, there's that. But we got Piper versus Brett, which I think is going to be That'll great. That'll be great. Yeah. Uh, we got Piper versus Goldust, which I th is a big question mark to me. I think I have a bad feeling I might not like it, but maybe, like, they're both very talented, so there's a lot of weird Piper stuff coming up. Yeah, and I think Roddy Piper, uh, it's so weird. Uh, 
when he's in WCW, he comes out after, <laughs> ironically for this series, after Hulk Hogan beats Randy Savage at uh, um, Halloween Havoc. Um, and he cuts a promo. And I never liked Hogan or Piper, and I didn't care about WWF history. But Piper cuts it so amazing that I probably watched it. I'm going to guess 240 times is probably how many times I watched it. And that was October of 1995. No, 1996. Yep. And at Starcade, he beat Hogan. And it was so boring, and he was so lame, and he was like my least favorite thing in the entire company. And one was October, and one was December. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. No, it's crazy, because um, his first month or two in WCW, Piper was crazy exciting, and then you have to rest, unfortunately, uh, yeah. which just mostly is one big miss. Um, so if you want to factor all that in, I can definitely believe he'll be at 50-50, if not maybe a bit lower. But uh, I don't know. Just for WWF – very hopeful about some of the stuff that we will see. Um, I think we got Piper DiBiase coming up too, and he'll have involvement in the Virgil stuff. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of good Piper stuff as well, so I don't want to lose sight of the great Piper stuff, yeah. even though the misses are really just just terrible. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he does some amazing stuff. Like His stuff at Adrian Adonis like, oh. landed with me forever. Yes. But it's, it is the, every time he comes Andre back, Hogan I never get a good feeling. I get a like I'm tense and let's wait and see like what we're getting feeling. <laughs> yep, you're right. You're absolutely right. So oh, I'm hoping. I don't know if the match will be good. I've never really watched it. I think this is. I think it's nonsense. You know, it's offensive to like a big portion of your fan base. Yeah. But it doesn't even I, to me like I, I get. I guess I get what Piper's trying to do, but it adds zero. It adds zero to it. And that's the thing, the worst thing in wrestling, and you don't see it all that much, I don't think, but when you already have something and then you mess it up, like, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. You got to wonder, and I don't want to go into this too far, but, like, there's a lot of stories that Bad News Brown didn't put up with shit. Like, he called out Andre the Giant, and I think there's stories he would even call out Vince McMahon. So you got to wonder a little bit, are they making this storyline just so they can mess with Bad News Brown a little? And that's kind of the ugly WWF, yeah. the ugly Vince McMahon maybe coming out here. Because so, especially it feels like if you're going to have this angle, which you shouldn't, but if you're going to have it, Bad News Brown needs to go over. Right, yeah. Like I was just thinking, why can't Bad News Brown just be a face in general? Like he never does yeah. bad things. He's just like a tough guy who attacks people and that's – you know, he's like Jim Duggan, but like a million times better. So, you know, why not? But I don't know. Yeah, we get what we get with Bad News Brown. And uh, I don't I don't think he'll be around for WrestleMania 7, sadly. So, man, I didn't realize how WrestleMania 6 is really it's an ending point in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I mean, he'll be around. He has something with Jake that he hasn't done yet. And there's some good stuff there. But I think after that, that may be it for him. So, yeah. There, there's some people who are going to be gone after this. We won't see anymore. I'm very curious. Like WrestleMania eight is the next one. I have some idea of what happened and watched it. Yeah. Six and seven. It's been so long if I've watched them that this is all kind of brand new to me. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. Be interesting indeed. Uh, all right, last thing I want to talk about, and I'm very excited to talk about this. this is something that I had never seen before, but it relates to a lot of people. I'm a big fan of, and uh, I think it came out very exciting. So, um. We enter the scene on Ted DiBiase and uh, Jake Roberts brawling at ringside when Big Boss Man shows up, hits Jake Roberts from behind, beats him up, cuffs him to the rope. He steals that bag with the title in it, with the snake in it. The heels head right over to Brother Love, 
And uh, this is all a setup, so DiBiase can get his million-dollar championship back. So you've got this classic heel setup. you got heel team-ups, which are always cool. And yet, it's going to get even more interesting in a minute here. <laughs> this is one of the best segments I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Oh, I really enjoy this. I love that you said that. I agree. Super good. I think my dream, and I didn't know what my dream was till this very moment, Miss Finn. <laughs> Especially if you're like a company that's in the same building all the time, you don't go anywhere. Like, build about seven sets so that, like, it's a community. Like, over here, oh, that's where Brother Love lives, you know, and this is where Bobby <laughs> Heenan lives. And that's what you got in this, where, like, you're in the ring, and then all of a sudden the lights come on at the Brother Love uh, house, and you see them move in real time over there, but you still got the camera of Jake tied to the rope. Every time we talk about this being a community, a world that people live in, like this is the visual embodiment of that. It's a great segment, but it exploits the arena and the world in a way that I wish people did more often. Absolutely. One of my favorite things about this segment, there's so many things I love, but I really love the shot from behind Brother Love, behind mm -hmm. like all the heels, looking out onto the ring, because so yeah. often like the Brother Love set is its own world. Like, you would barely know where it was in the arena yeah. if they didn't do, like, the occasional establishing shot. And yet, here, those worlds connect in this really strong way. And you get these camera angles that you rarely get. And you feel like worlds are, like, bleeding over into each other. And I, I don't know. It's just a very cool moment. A nice visual for me. <laughs> yeah, it's surreal because without statement, it almost feels like something is happening so out of order that they got to catch it as it goes. <laughs> Absolutely so. Oh, man. So this gets even better. Ted DiBiase, he's there. He says uh, there's nothing that he can't buy. He berates Jake Roberts. And he says when you have a thief, you got to get the police to mm. deal with him. Everything seems great. And then DiBiase, he does the thing he always does. And we've established <laughs> the unique psychology of Ted DiBiase is then more than wanting to win, more than wanting to succeed he yes. wants to be able to exert his power, and it often backfires on him. He says he bought the police. He talks about making that payoff, and this is the moment that popped me like crazy because Big Boss Man turns to Slick and asks him, what does he mean about the money? And, oh, boy, this is where it really starts to come off the rails, my friends. And there's a moment where he starts talking about it, and look at the look on Bubba or Big Bossman's face and then look at him side eye slick. It is it's so small, but man, everything is working. Everybody's at their top form and this stuff is just coming off the best that it can possibly come off. <laughs> it's so good. Now I'll ask you, because I, I wasn't I have two theories about this. Do you think that in the end, Big Boss Man was mainly mad about the fact that Slick did not cut him in on the money? Or do you think he was more mad that this offends his very particular sense of justice in this situation? The first one. Okay. I think I would have to agree. And yet he will switch that narrative quickly as time will goes on. So uh, I, I'm with you, but uh, it will also kind of be both in the end. Yeah, I think the second one is him taking on a babyface persona that's now going to be justified to do anything. Like the, the weird thing is they, I think they brought him in kind of in this awesome way of like, okay, so you got Slick and you got the idea of a law enforcement officer who historically, as we know, have often like been unfair and unjust to the black community. And Slick as a heel 
is flipped this and he has hired the big boss man. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, maybe they did some bad things, but you know, they it was like almost all hills. They didn't do a lot of like they put Hogan in his place one time, but you know, who wouldn't? <laughs> um, but they didn't do a lot of bad things. But now, if you won't hit what I'm just guessing here, but probably the worst we're gonna see from the boss man is gonna come after he becomes a baby face and becomes justified for anything that he does. <laughs> I mean, we remember him beating up a uh, defenseless Harley Race in a few years in WCW, yeah. so uh, there may be some uh, validity to that. Um, so, yes, the look on Bossman's face as he figures this out is amazing when he really sticks the question to Slick about this payoff, which he had no idea about, uh, is great. DiBiase orders Bossman to stick his hands in the bag and get the title for him, and Bossman says, don't tell me what to do, boy. Mm. And it's a beautiful moment. Whew. Yeah, I don't like. I would be afraid of, of scary boss man. <laughs> oh my god, he's so good. Why don't people know that boss man is so good? This is what really shocks me. Is that he's and Jake is watching all of this while handcuffed to a to a rope. <laughs> yes. Oh, the world's connecting. This is great because look at how many different you've got. Jake, and obviously he has his goals, but you've got Ted. He has his goals. You have. Uh, um, boss man, and now he's having divergent goals. You're having Slick, and he has his own idea. You even have like Brother Love and Virgil, and they all have their own ideas about how this all should go. It's great. It's awesome. It's like that late '91 um, booking for a moment here, like where everyone kind of has their own idea about what should happen. It's not one side versus the other side. It's like six different sides. Yes, and that's why I love about it. And then I would even say, you asked those great questions. Here's another one: How much of Bossman being upset with Slick? And Slick not cutting Bossman in is because they both know their relationships already on the outs. Ah, yes, could be. Bossman jumps right on the opportunity to split out here. So that's a great uh, question. That's a great thing to look at. Um, DiBiase insults Big Bossman. He says he is afraid to stick his hand in the bag. Bossman says, oh, my God. He says, look in my eyes. Do I look like I'm scared of anything? And to your point, like, it's the most scary. It's scarier than a snake. It's scarier than anything that I think you could think of. That this guy yelling at you. It is awesome. And this is great. This is a wonderful touch because Bossman fearlessly reaches into the bag, pulls out the title, but then says if he wants it, he has to earn it, and he puts the title back in the bag. So not only did he prove that he is bolder than all of these heels, he also did it without actually giving DiBiase what he wanted. Yeah, and he put his hand in the bag twice because he put it back. Yep, yep, no fear from Big Boss, man. This is a beautiful face turn. He's going to have an awesome baby face run. This is such great stuff. He walks off, gives the bag back to Jake, Gives him the key to get free as Slick is like pleading on the microphone, like, boss man, listen to me. And he doesn't do it. I'm sad to see them break up, but this is a beautiful moment with a lot to unpack. He even walks back over and knocks Slick over to a huge pop as the segment ends. So, really, just a beautiful segment here. Yeah, and if you want to see great psychology and you want to see great history, great storytelling, number one, I, I recommend the segment, I think, above anything, but also. Jake Roberts responds with far more fear in reaching out to take keys from the big boss man than boss man reaching in the bag with the snake. Ah, a very subtle and well pointed out uh, bit of the segment. That is that's that's worth a million dollars to me because 
who says just because some oh he turned the baby face well all i have known you as is one thing mm. and so just watch what it takes for jake roberts to take those keys from the big boss man Especially a man who will uh, make trust a big part of his character yeah. very soon. And uh, a man who knows that you don't trust anybody, as Steve Austin will later say. So a great mm. moment of hesitation there because it's not just flip the switch, flip the switch from black to white. It's a little bit different than that. Yeah, man, this is I wrote somewhere in my notes that, you know, they, they are living in 87, 88 stuff right here. Oh, super good. Yeah, or ahead into like 91, 92. So yeah. like we're in the valley, I think, between some <laughs> good eras, and uh, it's unfortunate. But and yet, I look over everything we talked about today. Um, I didn't like the Hogan stuff, didn't like the Warrior stuff. Everything else, almost, you know, not the Piper stuff either. But almost all of this stuff is really great. So clearly, we have a lot of the good aspects of that period. It's just like from the top. The top is just letting us down now. You know, we don't have Andre Hogan. We don't have Savage Hogan. We have this other crap, which is just not doing it for us at all. I don't think we'll get it, but I would be curious to see a Saturday Night's main event without Hogan with Ultimate Warrior kind of running the show. I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked that far ahead yet. Um, it's possible, certainly. Um I don't know. Some things will definitely change in the WWF because uh, we're gonna have, we're just gonna have to see what the new normal looks like. Warrior will be the champion. Um, we'll see big changes like Jesse Ventura will leave. I think sometime mm. this year um, they'll be trying out different things. They'll be adapting to some new circumstances. I don't know. Could be a whole new company by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. Um, in my mind. 90 could be as good or better than 89, but that's, you know, right now, and I don't know what's going to happen in, after WrestleMania, so we'll just have to wait and see. But right now is that valley, is that transition period, and it could be worse, and it could be better, and it could be both. Who Who's worse for you, um, Zeus or the Ultimate Warrior? <sighs> it depends on, you know, I don't think you can just, neither of them are by themselves. Right. Fair so it depends on kind of stories being told around and like Zeus is going to be worse. Like where's an actual wrestler into it, you know, to technically speaking. Mm-hmm. So in that way, he'd be better. But I don't know if that means 90 is going to be better than 89. If you could, I'll say it another way. If you could erase Zeus from ever appearing on screen in 1989, or if you could wipe out Ultimate Warrior, having Ultimate his program Warrior. with Hulk. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, cool. I like it. I like it. I think uh, I might have to feel the same way because Zeus's damage, it feels so limited to like just a certain time and place, and like it was there and then it was over, and you can just forget about it. Ultimate Warrior, I feel like shifted something in a way that never maybe fully went back. So I don't know if that's your reason. I agree. If it's something different, well, we still agree anyway. So yeah, I think the only thing I would say is somebody still needs to beat Hulk Hogan because. Like, it's exhausting. Hogan does not need to stay champion. So that's the one thing I'll give Warrior is he knocked Hogan off. So, like, if you if it means that Hogan just never loses the belt and they're trying, like, a three- or four-year title reign, then I think I would have to go Warrior just to have Hogan lose the belt. But otherwise, I'd go Zeus. Fair enough. I think uh, in the WWF after this, Hogan will never have a uh, year-long reign again. You know, yeah. he'll, have, uh, he'll have a good chunk of, um, of 91. But uh, after that, yeah, it's pretty pretty sparse for, for Hogan and the WWF. So things are definitely changing. It's not that five-year run anymore. You know, uh, we're in a different scenario now. 
Yeah, the tides are turning, and I think you realize that they turn slowly, but they are turning. They are. Yep, it's very noticeable now, for sure. All right, I think uh, that is everything we wanted to cover today. Anything else you want to talk about before we move on to WrestleMania next week? No, I'm weirdly excited for WrestleMania 6, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I think there'll be some good stuff. I, uh, I'll i be very surprised if the main event wins me over, but uh, there's some matches I've never seen. Uh, I want to see Boss Man versus Akeem, for sure. Uh, we do have Rockers versus Orient Express. It would be exciting, that mixed tag match I never saw. Um, so there'll be some good stuff. Also some stuff I have seen. Uh, Colossal Connection versus Demolition. I know that's going to be exciting. Um, the, what else? We got Tito Santana and like the Barbarian or something, which is kind of cool. So, so there'll be there'll be some exciting stuff on this card. Uh, I'm looking forward to most of it. Um, although some of it will irk me, I know, which I guess that's just the ratio of the era. So, <clears throat> okay, thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next week with WrestleMania six. It'll be exciting. Uh, if you ever want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, check out all the other great programs on uh, LOP Radio and uh, everything that is in the written material on www.lopforums.com and WrestlingHeadlines.com. A lot of great, great stuff that you can check out there. Um, I think uh, that's pretty much everything. So join us next week for sure. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. How about And white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared the undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just
just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature